Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right, welcome everyone. We are here in Nassau, Bahamas. I am joined by some know him as the king. We got Brian Zarrast in the house. Brian, what's going on, man? Not much. I am here in the Bahamas for poker for the first time. Uh, I got roped in because of this pretty sick 25K that's about to take off where they added in 300, 300 people yep. and a million dollars. And so I was like, okay, uh, I guess I'll come down here. You got me. I get to spend time with Jeff. And uh, yeah, should be should be cool. All right. Well, guys, uh, again, if most of you know from poker, Brian, I uh, want to kind of give a little background on him. We'll just quickly show you, you know, his uh, his resume here. Obviously, Hen and Mob, one of the bigger lifetime winners in poker. Uh, pretty impressive. That's in tournaments. He's also a cash game specialist. So we're going to talk about the difference in that. But just give you guys a little bit of a background on him. You can check him out on Brian Rast on Twitter, Brian Rast on Instagram. He's got all the stuff. He has a website. Pretty Pretty clean, chic website here. So, you know, we'll have we'll kind of scroll through this stuff and and show you guys that as we go. We also do have a retweet giveaway on our. If you want to ask Brian a question, we'll try to get to those. If you go on uh, our my Twitter, there's a question spot where we have a retweet giveaway, and we'll let Brian click that button to see who wins at the end. But you guys want to ask a question? I see there's already 15 in there, so that's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, without further ado, we'll keep it going and and uh, start chatting about Brian. I want to know. I know personally. We're, you know, we've known each other a long time. One of my closest friends and vice versa, I hope, yeah. as, as at least yes. you've indicated. Um, you know, like, I want people to kind of know about you, though. What, tell us about, like, a little background. Where are you from? Who you are? How you got into yeah. poker? That whole, that whole good, sure. goodness. Born in Denver when I was nine. Moved to uh, Poway. It's a suburb of San Diego. Um, lived there till college. Went to Stanford when I was at Stanford. Found poker. Um was a really good student in high school, not such a good student in, in university. Yeah. Once I found poker, that was kind of the end of me in college. Uh, I, I stuck around. I was a math major. think, in retrospect, had maybe I, uh, after poker, shifted to something like philosophy that was more interesting. Like I kind of chose math. I'm like, I'm good at this. I can use it to get a job. It's flexibly get a job in a lot of different areas. Uh, but... You know, once it's like, oh, hey, I'm playing poker. I, I'm like, I'm going to do this for a little while, forever, whatever. Um, you know, I wasn't that motivated to do math. And math wasn't a major where you can basically be a really bad student and pass. There's prom sets due every week, midterm, whatever. So I failed out of, you know, I, I uh, my last standing at college was uh, uh, on academic probation for the second time. Mm. And then, so that was me not going back. Didn't didn't graduate, but uh, I've been playing poker ever since. I mean, I played for about two years when I was in co- in college, and then uh, dropped out, and that was over fifteen years ago. So I've been been mostly doing poker ever since then. I mean, that's been my main you know job, so to speak, if you want to call it that. And uh, family parents are oh Ooh. someone wants to join the podcast. Oh, you know who that is, guys? Uh, it's who is it? I think it could be Shinman. Probably like can't get upstairs. Shinman. Hold on one sec. Let me just. Hold it, oh, Jeff is going. Okay, so, so yeah, so then, uh, <laughs> so then that's what I did, you know, and, and I've been playing poker ever since. I started out as a cash game player. I was uh, only a cash game player for many years, and um, you know, I didn't really start playing tournaments at all in 
I mean, seriously, until like five or six years ago, I went through a period where I was playing a lot of cash and tournaments uh, up until maybe about a year, year and a half ago. And, and I've kind of gone back to being mostly a cash game player. I don't play nearly as many tournaments anymore. Although, you know, I'm, I play some and I play more than I did at the beginning of my career. But, um, but yeah, I mean, but my biggest, you know, action now is mixed cash, which is the game in Bobby's room. Okay, so we have a little bit of an interruption there. Sorry about that. All but, right. yeah, okay, so I got – you got that. You've said what you've been doing. And what about did – the, did the family give you ever a problem about playing? Was that like a man drop? I mean, that's a pretty big deal. You go to Stanford, you're getting out of – now you're saying, yeah. all right, I'm becoming a poker player. I mean, it's most – not parents. They wanted me to graduate, of course. I mean, totally understandable. I would want the same thing for my kids. Yeah. You know, you, you start something, you, you finish it. Um, so eh. – but not, not like a big problem. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, my my dad started learning poker and he kind of understood he wanted me to finish school just so that I would have it, you know, practically to fall back on. Uh, My mom, a little bit less accepting of poker initially, I would say. But, you know, she kind of came around to it once she saw that I was, you know, making money and supporting myself. And, you know, it was okay. And, you know, my mom was more like, "I I don't know how I feel about this, but... You know, I trust you and I love you. And, um, you know, I, I so it it was they weren't happy, uh, but it was fine. Right. You know that my parents loved me and supported me. And it wasn't, you know, wasn't like, uh, oh, disowning you or any anything near. Dramatic. Yeah, yeah. OK, uh, fair enough. So that that's cool. That's I know that's sometimes a struggle. Sometimes there's tough, tough spots with professionals and their families and just not really they just don't support. So that's that's nice when they do. Um, all right. So you go from there. Yeah, actually, after university, I went back and I lived with my parents for about a year and a half or two years before I went to Las Vegas, where I was playing mostly online. But I would make trips sometimes to commerce or to the Bellagio for like a week and then uh, or, or commerce sometimes only the weekend because it wasn't that far and then come back and then like play online at my parents' house and whatever until yeah. I moved out. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's support. That's support, you know? Yeah. They didn't yeah. say, they said, they, they didn't, didn't say, say can't come home. They didn't yeah. say fuck you, you know? Okay. I like it. I like it. I, yeah. I mean, I know Papa Rass from Burning Man. That's a whole nother yeah. We can talk about Burning Man as well. That was, Ryan and I have had some good times at Burning Man. Uh, let's talk about uh, playing, like, what, in your heyday, what was the most you ever played, like, let's say hours a week or, or time? Like, wh- or how would you say you're playing nowadays compared to, uh, how would you say you're playing how much now versus in the old, old days? Like, was, as from your heyday, like, are you playing as much, yeah. less, more family now? You got married, step, stepson. I mean, I mean, the most I ever played was around the time I dropped out of school and I was playing <coughs> over 80 hours a week um, for sure. You know, 80 to 100 hours a week, probably. I probably did that for a couple of years. You know, all, all I really did was play poker. I mean, you know, I played... Um, I might write, write a few books here and there, you know, and, and I'd hang out with people occasionally, you know, but that was it. I was playing. That was all I was into. Um, you know, after I met it's over the years, it's like kind of gradually slowed down a bit. Um, and now, you know, I, I go through periods where I'll play a lot, but for the most part, I'm not playing that much. So during the world series, I still play a lot. I play poker every day. Yeah. I'm playing cash, I'm playing tournaments, but you know, that's usually only about two months. And then outside of the WSOP, uh, it's a lot more relaxed, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think one of my strengths as a poker player is 
over the years, just like I kind of have like kind of vampire endurance. I've just played a lot of like 20 to 50 hour sessions. What's the, what's the longest, you know, your longest actual. Yeah. My longest is probably around, around 50. I I don't know what the exact number is, but like 50, 52, something like that. Yeah, that's a sick. I know Phil, the world record yeah. was our buddy Phil Locke had like 117 hours, but over over two days yeah. is like, that's pretty insane. Yeah. I've never done that. I've done 30, 32 maybe, but that's that's the most. That's- yeah, no, I mean, when I started out, like I would play long sessions just to play. I mean, I'd be playing, you know, whatever. I, I, in the beginning, I'd go to the casino, I'd, I'd be playing like 6, 12 limit hold'em or whatever. I'd play like 36 hours in a game that's there every day. You know, as time went on in my career, obviously, um, I kind of like backed off doing that. But you know what? I just would bust out the, listen, if you're in a game, like I used to go to Macau. The games in Macau, let's say eight, nine years ago, used to be amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, there'd be a VIP in the game. And, you know, a lot of times they are a little sicker than, let's say, uh, VIPs from other parts of the world. They just they just wanted to play. You know, I, I in, in fact, the approach to gambling in Asia is different, right? I mean, you know, in America, it's like this. You know, you're at get people at the casino. They finish dinner. There's like an hour to the show. They stop by the whatever they want to do, craps table. They'll have a drink or two, shoot dice for like 45 minutes, and go to the show with their group. Right? It's more like you're doing it on the way to something else. Macau, a little different. You know, Macau, it's like okay, I'm showing up. It's 10 a.m. Okay, I'm having my green tea, no alcohol. I'm I'm smoke. I got my pack of cigarettes, and I'm just I'm like I'm I'm hitting it. For, you know, 24 hours straight. I'm trying to trying to break this casino. You know, we're getting lucky. Right. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of the same approach to poker. I mean, there'd be VIPs that come play. And as long as they didn't lose whatever money they were, like, going to gamble with, you know, they'll play a 36-hour session. So, when I used to go to Macau, I, it's also, it just, I'd regularly play, you know, sessions, like, in the 20 to 40 hours. It was, like, very common. So, yeah. So, it was good. Speaking, this just came to mind, and I, I don't know how. Like, it's crazy because, like, again, I, I knew it. This is for me. It's fun. Brian and I talk all the time. Brian's one. We travel. We've. We, I know a lot about Brian and his stuff, but I didn't even have this on my list. Speaking of endurance, how about the bicycle ride? We got to talk oh. about that. That wasn't even on the list. It's one of the yeah. most amazing bets I've ever heard of, been a part of, and this was this was a real sick one. Could you walk you, us through this this I bicycle should, bet? But, but you should also show them show them this page. Okay. So on my website, if you go to the if you go to the blog. Okay. Before I start talking about it, on my blog, which I, I never blog anymore, um, I did, last one was, I have two from 2018. But if you go down here to, I actually wrote two pretty in-depth blog articles oh, there it is. about the that. bike bets. Because there's the, the bike, you know, the bike bet that I did personally, but I also made money off of some other bike bets. It's a very interesting story of gambling. Uh, you know, I, I bet on Dan Bilzerian. Then I had another bet that someone bought out of with me. That's, and a, that's I did maybe the craziest one. The you, other you, bet, you, I just had this string. I was like a biking professional that yeah, year. You made more biking try than the Tour de France <laughs> I, I guys. It's so, for sure. So, um, I mean, that was it was a pretty sick. And obviously, the second one here, you see Bike Bets Part 2. You know, that's all about, like, my journey on the bike. It's it's very interesting. But, you know, long story short, you should you should read and check this out. You know, I had... I got bet. I basically had no training on a bike. It was on a road bike and it, I had 24 hours to prepare and leave and um, bike from the like Las Vegas, downtown Las Vegas or whatever to Dan Bilzerian's house in Beverly Hills. 
was a little over 300 miles, 48 hours, just had to do the whole thing on the bike. You know, I could take breaks if I wanted, but, you know, I had to complete the thing in 48 hours. So, you know, that that was it. And I, I couldn't draft. One of the controversies from which I talk about in these blog articles is, um, you know, Dan Bilzerian drafted in his bet, which I don't believe he needed to do to win, but it definitely helped him. He didn't win. He like smashed it. Like he had 48 hours and he drafted and he was using like recumbent bikes and whatever. And he did it in like 30 or 20, like under 30 or something. And, um, you know, I, I, he also had like two months to train for it. So, you know, I couldn't use recumbent bikes, which is this bike you, you see down here in park one. It's like, you're kind of more sitting down. Uh, they're a lot more comfortable. And, uh, and I couldn't draft, which is pretty big because going from here to California, yeah, overall you go slightly downhill, although over something that long, like there's definitely some uphill spots, but the hardest thing was there was a stretch where I was going into like 25 mile per hour wind. And, uh, I mean, that was really tough. That was almost the wind was a big factor. The like wind was a huge you factor. Have done that based on potentially a couple of different wind. Points. I mean, yeah, if the wind had been that strong for much longer of a period of time that I had to bike, um, it, I don't think I would have been able to done it. As it is, I did it in, I had like an hour and 20 minutes to spare and I pushed myself to the max. Like I, I had developed an injury. I had to get a cortisone shot. A doctor met me to give me a cortisone shot on the road. I was like, it was tough. Like I literally pushed myself to my max. It's something I'm what was like, the, I can take with me forever. I'm yeah. proud of it. What was but, the, what was the wager exactly? Yeah, it was uh six to one. I, I, I got laid six to one, 600 K to hundred K. So, uh, and there was a lot of side action. I know I was in there and the, yeah. there's some other people. Some of my friends, action. it was cool. Cause I actually won my friends a bunch. Of, I won my friends more money in total between all all the guys that bet on me than uh than I won for myself. So so everybody had a good day on on my back. I, I strapped people to my back and, and took them for the bike ride, you know? That was that was fun, That's man. Sick. That was definitely one of the more fun fun yeah. stories. Speaking of uh, we're looking here at Brass, over twenty million in uh live tournament earnings, more of a cat no one maybe plays more cash game. Number one all time in Cali. That's nice. A lot of poker players in California. Um, talk about maybe your biggest your biggest winner too. I, I guess you've won the the players championship the fifty K how many times now? Two? Um You've won it two times. Which two is times, the yeah. most prestigious all around poker player event that's in, in Vegas. Twenty one million in lifetime rings. The one though, which was special, the high roller bowl, five hundred thousand dollar buy in for seven point five. What was that like? How did that feel? Was that sort of like a validation or just kinda like how does it feel to win that big of a of a tournament? I mean it can you even put like does it does that change your how you look at your career and stuff? Like is that is that like a I mean it it's I you know, I, I probably won't top that win. I think there's a good chance. I mean, you know, I'm I'm a favorite not to, just given I probably won't play a ton, ton more tournaments where, you know, you can win more than that in one. And so I, I'm, I'm a favorite not to top that. Uh, you know, it, it was special. It was cool. It was, it was, uh, it was, it was a big win. I won, I won a lot of money and, uh, it, it was cool. I mean, there were a lot of great players in that tournament. Um, it's also high production value. I, mean, I, think in, I think in retrospect around the time when I won that tournament, probably, um, at least up till now in my career was a, around the, the not necessarily at that exact moment was around the peak of my, um, what I'll call my, my no limit hold'em tournament prowess, like relative to the field. 
Um, I had been playing No Limit Hold'em as my main game, although most mostly in cash games. But like, like if you look at my tournament, you know, I've been playing poker since the, like 2003, right? And like, really, I, I don't even have that many results until 2011 when I start. And even if you look in 2011 and 12, um, those results are not based off that many tournaments. Um, you know, one of those was the Players Championship in 2011. I didn't play that many tournaments that year. In 2012, I also won a hundred k. Like I, I wouldn't have cashed for a million. I, I, you know, but it was like one point. It was over a million in December. You know, it kind of like saved it or something. So, I mean, I didn't really start playing many tournaments until kind of like 2014, and then I started really. You know, what happened is Kerry brought the Aria. I never traveled much for poker. Kerry brought the Aria series to um, to Vegas, and I started playing those like. 10, 25, 50 Ks that, that would run. And, um, I did, I mean, I, I did go to Melbourne twice, but beyond that, I've traveled very little for poker and poker tournaments, but yeah. So, so what kind of happened is, uh, between years and years and years of playing no limit cash. Um, I think I got very good at kind of like reading hands and understanding what people were capable of and, and this, and even exploiting people. And then um, I put a little bit of time into learning ICM. I started for the first time, uh, I forget, like 2014 or something. I, 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 when I would travel, I'd play hyper sit and goes to study kind of like ICM spots and like run those spots and, uh, you know, push, push shove. Because of the hypers, like you got a lot of 10 big blind spots, but, you know, it really helps you with like what the ICM saying you should or shouldn't do. And then worked a little bit on my short stack play, obviously playing those like, like heads up. 20 big blinds or less. And, and that really helped me with tournaments, right? Because, you know, playing cash, you have a lot of experience in, let's say like post flop and like deep stack, but that helped me a lot with short stack and also just playing more tournaments and getting the experience. And, um, also like before solvers, like, I think that, uh, you know, the last three or four years, how good people have gotten because of their ability to study solvers has really, really changed the landscape of the top of like the no limit hold'em world. And, you know, I'm, and I think I'm about as qualified as anyone to talk on that. And it's really changed it. I mean, there's a lot of guys who I think three, four years ago or before were not, they definitely weren't like the best no limit hold'em players. And like some of the same guys uh, are some of the best no limit hold'em tournament players now. They're putting in a lot of work setting solvers. I mean, you kind of see this happen with a lot of games, you know, look at backgammon, look at chess. Like there was a time before solvers, before like those games, you could find the best move on a program and then after. And, uh, you know, it really changes the way you're able to study a game. And I mean, now it's like, frankly, if you want to be a great no limit hold'em player, once you get good enough, you know, you got to learn through other methods. I don't think you can just start not knowing poker and hop on a solver. It's too kind of complicated. But once you kind of learn and you learn how to play through some other methods, whether it be, you know, training videos, reading books, experience, whatever, you know, once you get good enough to use and interpret solvers, I mean, it's kind of like where you're going to get the golden information. Now you're not going to learn how to exploit people. And when you're playing bad players, exploiting them is way more important than playing GTO. But once you're playing, it's really, really good players who are mixing up their play. They're randomizing. They're not giving off tells or maybe not giving off bet sizing tells learning like, how you're supposed to bet size in spots, like what the solvers say about how you should play your ranges, extrapolating stuff from that. I mean, it's really just hard to beat that. And um, 
So, you know, I think that's changed the landscape of no limit hold'em in the last three years. And so, uh, you know, I, I have used some solvers, you know, like we've talked on your thing about range converter and, you know, PO solver and whatever. It hasn't been a real big focus of mine. It's been something I've done a little bit off and on to, to try to keep up with my no limit hold'em game, but I definitely am not putting in the kind of work that, you know, a lot of the no limit hold'em tournament guys are because, you know, my biggest action is mixed games, right. various types of mixed cash games. So, um, you know, I'm doing no limit hold'em more to kind of just keep up and learn. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm I, looking back, I think around the time when I won that, yeah, it was a bit of a validation. Like I think I was probably underrated back then how good my no limit hold'em game was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I maybe didn't even realize it myself at the time because I'm not one of the, I've never really been one of those people who, like, I look at myself and I think like, oh, I play like the best and everyone else plays really bad, you know, because I think people have this tendency in poker to always look at like the worst that other people play and kind of assume that they play that way. Yeah. Like, oh, this guy played this hand, like he must just be awful because he played this hand this way. But the truth is like everybody makes mistakes. Yeah, everybody or, or has, has a reason or does something. Hands they play bad and uh, you can't always look at the worst. Like a lot of people make really good decisions as well. Right. So, you know, I, I've, uh, you know, always kind of felt that way. But I think, yeah, looking back at the landscape of things and understanding what I do now, I mean, that was a period of time when I thought my no, I think my no limit holding game was, was uh, really, really strong. And I felt really, you know, good playing with the competition and, uh, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's uh, there's not many people that don't make mistakes, you know. There's only yeah, everybody, a, yeah. everybody does. There's only a few guys outside of you know. I, I know one guy named Shinman. They say does never make a mistake, but he's like a unicorn. So yeah. uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little more about mixed games. What yeah. is uh? What would you say is your your favorite game besides No Limit Hold'em? Or I guess maybe even No Limit Hold'em isn't your favorite game. What is your favorite? Poker I mean, I think No Limit Hold'em is a great game. Um, it's a it's a really beautiful game. Um, I. I'm not a really big fan of, I mean, I'm using solvers a bit and I, and I'm okay. You know, I, I, it's something I accept. Like, this is just the reality. This is the best way to study. This is what's happening. What you have to do to stay on top. I, you know, there's a reason I, I like figuring things out on my own, with my own brain. Right. I always love that about poker that you could never find an answer somewhere. Now you're actually getting to the point where it's things are getting broken down to where you can kind of find answers for right. like the right game theory, optimal way to play. Now, it's not necessarily an answer about how to play against a player who's making mistakes and you can exploit, but, you know, it's still extremely powerful to learn the GTO way to play. Um, what I like about Mix, why I started getting into it was, uh, you know, I, I'm just very curious. I like learning. I always like new challenges. And so I kind of initially started learning Mix like five or six years ago just because I knew there was a big game in Vegas and I wanted eventually to be able to play it. And, uh, you know, there's action there and I just like challenging myself. Right. I mean, I kind of like hopped in and was playing mix probably bigger than I, I've just, that's what I've done my whole poker career. I mean, I learned PLO learning, losing 40% of my bankroll, firing 2550 PLO at the end of one WSOP on stars, like getting smashed. And then after that, I started playing PLO and this was like, 12 years ago or 11, 10, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I've always just been kind of the person who learns in a bit of a cavalier way, challenges myself and then uh, tries to force myself to step up, like put myself under pressure and then step up afterwards. And, you know, it's worked out for me, although I, I can't say that it's always necessarily been the smartest or most well-planned out way to learn something. It kind of right. happened with mixed games too. 
And, uh, you know, that happened and I was playing No Limit Hold'em tournaments too and focus on mix. And then kind of as people were getting better and better at No Limit Hold'em and, you know, people are solvers, mix get, the mix action is already a little bit bigger, especially if you don't travel for No Limit Hold'em tournaments. And I just found myself doing well and playing more and more mix. And then kind of here I am. And now I guess I'm like an old man mix player and uh, as not as much of a tournament player anymore. Although, you know, I think I can still hold my own and I've been doing some learning, but uh, I definitely feel like my edge is bigger in, in mixed game situations. And is that something, like if you had to pick tournaments or cash now moving forward, I mean, you, you, would you uh, identify yourself more as a cash player than tournament? I mean, is that basically yeah. where you're at? Like you're saying, you know, like this is a special event, a great tournament, you see a good spot, you'll, you'll fire it, but you're not traveling the circuit. You're not no. looking to hop in all the high rollers all across no. the world. So Yeah, in fact, this really might be the only place I travel to tournaments for for the whole year. And I've never even done this before. Even though I was playing more tournaments from like whatever, 2013 to 2017, I never came to the Bahamas even. It's pretty close, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been here 13, 14 years, right? Straight. I mean, I, I just, uh, I've never liked traveling for tournaments. Like, I kind of view like once you factor in rake and travel expenses and everything, it's not really like, I mean, it's not really that profitable compared to cash games anyway. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say in my career, I've been mostly a cash game player right now. I'm still, I'm probably, right now I'm doing about where I've been at my career. I'm mostly a cash game player who plays tournaments. Like I have experience. I feel comfortable. I like my spot in a lot of tournaments. They're fun. I mean, you know, let's be real, like getting deep in a tournament, getting down, getting in the money, playing down to the final table, playing at the final table. I mean, it's, it is a little more exciting than like even, you know, I'll, I'll be more excited playing, you know, this summer I, I won the deuce to seven, no limit, hold them or no limit single draw bracelet. I was more excited at that final table playing for the difference between probably like 50 K and whatever first was 200 something and the bracelet. than I am in like just the, cause you get used to people get used to whatever they're doing in life. Right. Like I go and I play stakes that for most people would be like, holy shit, you know, you're sitting with 200,000 in front of you. Like this is crazy. But once you do that every day, it kind of just becomes the regular thing. Like I play 2K, 4K mix, like, you know, that's just what I do. And, you know, but playing at the final table of a tournament, you don't don't get that every day. You know, so even if it's some at some point, it's not even always about the money that gets you psyched up. It's about the situation. You know, it's about the. You know, it's it's just so fun when you're at the final table of the tournament and it's like, oh, you're still in. You're like, you're still in. You're still right. in. You're still part of the yeah, group. Look, there's 800, 1,000. You're still part of the group, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, oh, that guy's gone. It's like, and then there were five and then there were four. Yeah. You're still in. And then it's like, once you bust out, you're sad. You're just like not part of it anymore. You right. know, you're like, damn, I'm out. Yeah. So it's, it's just yeah, something about survivor. that too, you know? Yeah, there's there's something so, very unique about tournaments. Yeah. There's nothing you can replicate than getting a lot of chips deep in a tournament. Yeah, you got a lot of chips. It's fun. There's competitive. Competitive. People are looking at it. Your family's involved. Yes. You know, like all that. Your friends And, and just like watching. the changing game situation. You're like, oh, oh, it's like, oh, oh, you just, you know, you lost the flip. Now you have half your chips. You got 25 big blinds. Okay, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to play this? Boom. Oh, you, you win a whole bunch. You win a bunch of pots. You're the chip leader. Okay. Like, how am I going to like max this? Like, where am I, how am I going to pressure and win chips? Like, you know, am I going to be patient? Am I really going to go animal style? Just, just the changing situation strategically it provides so much like interesting stuff to think about the way people are playing, the way other players are reacting to pressure. It's just like, 
there's nothing like it. I mean, it's getting in that flow state and zone. It's just, it's so much easier there. And honestly, that's one of the best things about playing poker. It's one of the reasons why, I mean, there's so many people that burn out in poker. And at this point I realize like I'm a bit of an exception. I mean, here I am, it's been 15 or 16 years. Like I still like, yeah, I'm playing poker. I like playing poker. Like how many people really are doing that? Like not many. You see so, so many guys, great players with talented guys, but at some point they're like, they don't want to do this anymore, whether it's because they go in a downswing or they win a bunch of money, they kind of like want out. And I've realized like the thing that I think makes me different is at some point, like I'm not like, yeah, like I like the money a lot and I'm definitely doing it kind of for the money too, but I'm really also doing it for the, the, I like being under pressure. I like, I almost need that. Like I've always kind of been that way looking back at my life, just the way I was in school and whatever. Like I like taking tests more. I didn't like homework. Like, you know, I, I like being under pressure. I like the way that makes me perform and feel and, and pressure almost always makes me better, not worse, you know? And when I don't have pressure, oftentimes I just, I don't care very much. I, I'm a little sloppy or whatever. I mean, I've even had an issue through my whole career and like focus, but I, I get really focused and I feel like I can hit that flow state and, and really like be playing my a game and, and in the matrix, you know, and the more pressure, the better for that. So, you know, I, I just like that feeling. I like that competition and that's kind of like ultimately what brings me back. And it's also part of the reason why, like, you know, sometimes I go do things that aren't always the highest EV decision for me. You know, I'm not saying that it's minus EV, but like, you know, there's people playing mix on and off. It's questionable whether or not flying here to the Bahamas and all this, you know, even how good this tournament is, whether it was the highest EV decision. But, you know, during the World Series, it's definitely not the highest EV decision for me to sometimes go like fire up like a 10K or some some 5k like dealer's choice tournament that maybe I really feel like playing after I'm done with the cash game in the evening, go late reg it. But I, you know, I go do that stuff. Cause it's like, sometimes I just say like, what do I feel like playing right now? You know, I like, I feel like doing this, like this is going to be fun and I want to keep myself motivated and happy. And, you know, and I love how the world series has now let you reg day two, which I mean, honestly, half the tournaments or more that I played this summer, uh, I played like max late regging like day two or whatever. So, I mean, that really got me in there more, you know, cause, cause even though they're fun, like it's hard for me to justify, like, even though I, I realize it's higher EV, but at some point it's like, what's what higher EV for me? Like I'm playing a cash game where like the big bets, like four during the summer, it was six K. We we're playing four K, eight K. We're playing like, you know, hundred K cap, like big bet mix stuff. You know, like I'm not grinding a day one, even of a 10 K. Like it just doesn't make sense. Like yeah. even if, uh, you know, it's higher EV, like higher EV in a 10K tournament doesn't mean that much for me compared to like the stakes right. I play. That makes sense. Guys, I see yeah. you guys in the chat. We do do a live component here. We're going to try to get some of your questions. We do have a giveaway on Twitter and you can ask a question, get the retweet out, help get the word out. Uh, Colin O'Reilly, go event. Thanks for being here. Adventure Training Camp. Good to see you. Uh, some other friendly faces. We will try to Sheffield 16, my friend, Vadrin, of course, Ghost of M. A lot of, lot of guys here. Uh, we want to... Uh, Want to keep the flow going. Rast is definitely dropping knowledge and, you know, very interesting stuff. A lot of, you know, wide range of the gambling or or poker, gambling, gaming world, side bets, prop bets. There's a lot, a lot of stuff you can talk about here, but it's definitely interesting. It's a, it's nice to get a glimpse into that kind of world. I mean, it is, it is crazy, crazy stakes. What would you say is the, um, 
Is there, was there a cash session? Like, you know, turn and scores are prevalent. You can see on Hen and Mob, all that. Is there like a, like a, one of those cash sessions you just ran like the sun? It was like you just never wanted to stop. The game was great. Is there anyone like, is there a session that stands out? Yeah. Maybe that's, it was just There's like, definitely a session in my career where it stands out that I just ran super good and it was, it was unreal. There was this, one of the first times I went to Macau, because I was kind of one of the Macau white guy pioneers, whatever. <laughs> I was over there. Uh, I remember. This was like not that long after the downturn and live poker in Vegas went from being like awesome to like total shit, you know, like 2550 with an Annie game was going every day. And then all of a sudden the 1020 no limit game could like barely run and people would be buying in for $800 and, you know, like, and it would, it would break, you know, after the crash, whenever that was like 10 years ago or something. Right. So. Uh, I remember I was looking around and we was like talking to my friend Keith and, and we were like, well, where are we going to go? Let's go somewhere. So we ended up going to Macau and I kind of found it out. And then whatever, some summer uh, we went, I went, we went back after having gone in the spring and I went there for like the first three weeks of the world series. And I played with some of the guys that on that trip during the summer who ended up because like Paul Foy I played with, who's like super heavy hitter in the poker world, ended up, you know, running the star world game and this and that. And, um, I played with him that trip. He was interesting. He was experimenting with things. Like you could tell he was a pretty sharp guy just playing, playing with him that summer. But I, you know, I played with some other guys too. And it was some amazing games. Like, you know, a lot of super rich guys who clearly had barely ever played poker before. We were playing big stakes. There was one session we were playing three K six K. I think I was playing with Ronald and some other, some other guys. And we all agreed that if you won anyone who won the pot, had to show their hand. So, you know, cause I think like some of the Asian guys wanted to see what we were doing. Right. And, uh, but the truth is about something like that is in the long run, it's way better for like the beginner players because like they're, they actually will sometimes see something that will just open their eyes and they'll learn something. Right. But for that session, it's definitely better for the pros because like they kind of, you know, we, we don't haven't all played with each other a lot, but you know, you get to see like how they're playing right now. So I might not learn like how to play from that, but I do get to like learn exploitatively and shit like what's going on right there. But it just, I just, to answer your question, like that session, I ran hot, I was winning pots and uh, I was bluffing a lot and just like everything worked. It's like one of those sessions where, you know, and at some point too, like when you're just like clearly like I'm stacking people, you know, and uh, when I say 3K, 6K, it was Hong Kong. So it's like 400, 800 or something US. But so it's just one of those things where I'm stacking people this and people are afraid to play hands with me. But then you notice like, you know, you played with me, especially back in the past. I used to, especially in a session like that, I'd be out of out of line as fuck. Like I used to be pretty notorious for being out of line, you know, uh, back in the day. Also, when people didn't really know how to deal with that. And um, and you could just tell I could just tell when someone had had enough and I just like I'd have it and stack them. Right. And then I'd bluff them. And, but it's the thing about the bluffs is you had to show every time. So they got to see. Yeah, it's kind of I like, even had some sick check raise bluff versus Phil Locke, like where the board like triple tripped up low and I check raised them. And he I think he ended up holding like a big pair. Like he had a big hand. You know, I obviously sold him on the quads and I would have never showed, but I had to show Phil. And I was just like everything was like working. I was amazing. And I had I had like this. I forget. Maybe there's a. I might have a picture somewhere, but I had this massive stack of chips, like this mountain. I've even had people come after that session and say who had like walked by 
like that session became like somewhat like legendary yeah, yeah. and like Macau, yeah, whatever. Staple, yeah. Cause that was like before, like there had been really big games. And apparently after that game, like some of the good games stopped. And like, then that later they, they didn't want to play with white people anymore. So I, I got known as the guy who got white people like kicked out of Macau. You, you they took the, the game. Macau glory for yeah. And for they started doing private games at another casino and whatever. But yeah, no, that, that session stands out just for everything. And just also the, the way it worked out with like the politics of stuff. And yeah, it, it's kind of funny in turn how it works in the tournament world too, like, or in poker world, the more tournaments and results, the more scared you are kind of of you. And, and a lot of times makes you not as easy to get into games, but like, so in theory, like, technically yeah. playing cash games is maybe a little better overall like just in terms of earning and yeah. potential but it's a fine line you do see some guys that are you know they can maneuver their way into both and and it really comes down to uh it kind of it, it's it's not necessarily set in stone but i think that's a general rule like the more success you have in tournaments the less people kind of want to play with you or fear you yeah because you you do really well in tournaments people assume you're good and people know about you and you know but there's a bunch of guys who are great players who've played mostly only in cash games and they're way less well-known right you know so yeah i mean there there were some guys who uh you know i've played with who don't really play tournaments but have only played cash games who um you know at least i don't know about anymore but like back when i was playing with them i i thought they were some of the very best players and uh you know no one really knew about them there's there's this guy um who doesn't play poker nearly as much anymore but his, his name's andy mosley He's from England, and uh, I used to play with him in Macau, and he he was a great cash no limit holding player. He was like really really good, and um, you know I I haven't played with him much in many years, but back in the day, like and just nobody knew about him, but he just you know just flew up the up the um, limits in Macau. Like when I first went to Macau, he was playing way smaller, and soon he was like I was playing with him, and that guy. Uh, he's a cool guy. I like him personally, but you know he played him. He played amazing, oh. so no one knew about him. But. Okay, but uh, did want to also touch on crypto. This is uh, something you and I have spent a lot of time. I know um, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole. I don't know how many of you are that familiar or, or into obviously crypto now. Less a little less hot topic. It's been a little cooled off. Uh, let's uh, let's try to even yeah. limit the time here on how long we spend. But I guess just give me your overall philosophy uh, on crypto, the state of it, Bitcoin, what you you know long term. How you feel about it right now and just sort of uh you, you've put it to me very articulately your your thesis or your feeling on crypto so it's i, I, I do want to cap it because i think it's super interesting but it's one of those things we could talk we could do a whole we could do a show on crypto of course in itself and i think people here are probably more for the poker yeah. type stuff but crypto is interesting and also <clears throat> correlated so. so i'll give some people okay so this guy that i really like on twitter his name is murad m-u-r-a-d mamudov he has this really good podcast on Off the Chain with Anthony Pompliano. He was a guest. It's called Off the Chain, Murad Mahmudov, The Ultimate Bitcoin Argument. Uh, this guy. Or, yeah, yeah, this is the guy. So he did a podcast, um, The Ultimate Bitcoin Argument. Um, I think this guy's really sharp. I mean, he called down from 6K, but he's like super Bitcoin maximalist, like even more than me, like long term. Uh, you should listen to this podcast. I think it's it's got a lot of stuff that resonates with me that I really agree with, but he articulates it really well. Um, I would. So anyway, so to kind of like say what I think, this this is the way I feel. Bitcoin is in the process of potentially becoming a money. 
So go wait, go back, go back to go back to that guy's page. You know? And I mean as you see here, just to like even even say, you know, this is like his idea of the progression of things, which, you know, I think is like a very reasonable progression. So like this up here, full global money is kind of like, you know, the end game for Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin has a monetary policy that's already laid out unlike any other currency in the world. Right. Every other currency is controlled by the country and their central bank. Usually they can um, print more. They can do whatever the fuck they want with it. So, you know, for the U.S., that's been something that's like super good for the U.S. is that the dollar is kind of like the international reserve currency account of balance kind of used a medium of exchange, the dominant one in the world. Uh, it gives the U.S. It's one of the most powerful things the U.S. has going for it. Um, but. I think in terms of just people, if you look like money that we have right now works great, but first money gets inflated. All money gets inflated because every country is printing money. So what that means is like globally, uh, everyone who has money, like if you're pretty poor or like middle class, even you kind of only have enough money to run your life. So it's not a big deal. But if if you start accumulating money, you're richer, uh, you're wealthy. At some point, because it, it, it doesn't make sense to hold on to money because it gets inflated less every year. Basically, it depreciates. So uh, you have to find ways to like stick your money in shit, whether it's like the stock market or real estate or some kind of assets, because otherwise your money just keeps getting worth, worth less. So it comes this whole thing about investing your money. And, um, you know, what if there was a currency that you could see like wasn't going to inflate like that. Basically, there was a set amount. So gold is kind of like what's being used right now. So people are storing their value in gold and it's like used as like, I'm going to hedge against the inflation or if something happens in like the whatever the world. But let's look at gold. Gold is this heavy metal. Yeah. It's you can't really cut it on your own. So you can't really divide it. You just like buy and sell the amount that you have and it's hard to store. It's hard to send yeah, you places. You can't buy goods or services with it. You know, it makes sense that like once upon a time, hundreds of years ago, people use gold for that. And because of that tradition, people are still using gold today. But like, what if we just invented something that you could divide almost infinitely up into any amount you wanted to send to anybody? You could instantly send it anywhere in the world. There was a fixed amount like gold. In fact, there's an even more fixed amount of Bitcoin. And uh, basically... It couldn't be stolen from you. It was like very secure. So basically it does gold better than gold in almost every attribute. Um, so not only can it be a store of value like gold, but you can really use it like a money. Well, okay. Well, the answer to that is Bitcoin. That's exactly what Bitcoin's trying to be. And, you know, I think once you start studying Bitcoin, you realize, okay, yeah, sure. Bitcoin's this like created internet money, but what gives something value in life? Like the, Essentially, the only reason anything has value is because people decide it does. So it's yeah, it's like you're into like Bitcoin's a Ponzi scheme. Well, I mean, anything, uh, you know, yeah, any money requires that people buy into using it as a money. So there's a little bit of Bitcoin that's a bit of what I'll call like a self-fulfilling prophecy where, yeah, it's only going to work if people all start believing it works and investing in it and using it as a money. Otherwise, it won't work. Right. But I don't think that makes it a fraud. That just means like it either will or won't become, as you see, ultimately a unit of account and full global money. And, you know, we're still kind of a long way away from that. 
And I think like before we get there, Bitcoin needs to become more of like a store of value that's going to be used by like wealthy people to put money in or people that want to be able to send send large amounts like internationally, like instantly. I mean, even right now, like and I think a lot of people in the poker world have kind of been turned on to Bitcoin because it's one of the easiest ways like, oh, yeah, I have like 50K here and I want to bring it with me wherever or I wanted to send it to some guy whenever I want to. And, you know, you don't have to deal with a bank that's only open eight hours a day, five days a week, $30 fees, wait, wait a day or two or more for your transfer to go through. Maybe it doesn't go through, you know, but part, part of the reason why Bitcoin might work, too. So think about this. You most of the people live in places in the world with either have autocratic governments or you can't rely on the currency. Imagine someone who is worth one hundred million dollars and they want to park five to ten million of their wealth in something where no matter what happens, they go to jail or someone or they have to leave the country. They can take some money with them. There's no better way to do that right now than Bitcoin. Like there's just so many awesome use cases for it that like my personal belief is that, you know, as people start realizing this and as people start actually using Bitcoin or realizing future use cases of Bitcoin, people will like me will put money into it and It'll go like, look at this chart, like it'll this and there'll be greater liquidity. It'll become a reliable store of value, even greater liquidity, greater acceptability, recognized medium of exchange, boom, boom. And eventually it'll be a money. And now we're talking about a market cap of like many trillions of dollars and like a Bitcoin will be much more than it is now. And as an investment, the reason why I think Bitcoin is one of the best possible, you know, is simply because this like Bitcoin's like three or four K right now. This story working out has Bitcoin going to 200K, 400K, a million, you know, depending on, you know, or more, depending on what, you know, how long of a time frame we're talking about, you know, how, where on this chart, does it just become a store of value like gold? Does it end up becoming a global money? Does it end up becoming a reserve currency? Like, think about this, Russia, China, many countries keep billions and billions, maybe trillions of dollars as a reserve like they're storing money that they can use to like buy things internationally. But they all know that that ultimately gives the U.S. power like that money becomes worth less if we have a financial crisis and we do quantitative easing again and we just print a bunch of money that makes their money worth a lot less because we're making creating money out of nothing. So imagine one day Bitcoin large enough where a country feels like, hey, instead of storing just dollars, like we're going to store Bitcoin also. Right. Or any other digital currency that does the same thing as Bitcoin. But I believe it will be Bitcoin for a number of reasons. Right. But yeah. So, I mean, you're talking like, you know, this is a so this bet right now that you're making, you know, you're not buying Bitcoin because in a year I think it's going to be do all this. This is a 5, 10, 20 year bet about what I think, like the potential future economic landscape of the world will look like. And from my point of view, there's just too many things that make a lot of sense to me uh, about Bitcoin. And uh, so therefore, and, and the bet's not like, it's not like a one-to-one bet. We're talking about a hundred to one on the upside potentially and one-to-one on the downside. So it's like, do I think it's over one or 2% that this will happen? Yeah, I think it's way over that. I think we're talking 30, 40% or something, you know, who knows that like something like this will happen right. and you're getting paid a hundred to one on it. So yeah, I mean, you know, I wouldn't go fire your whole net worth into it. But to me, it's just one of those things where, you know, if you have some money that you, you're like, I don't care if I lose this money and I want to make like a, a long term kind of like 
uh, asymmetric bet with a lot of upside and, you know, just just lose whatever I put into it on the downside. You know, I think Bitcoin is something to do that. And, you know, we were talking about this before and Jeff and I have talked a lot of crypto. I'm not really a big believer in the other stuff in the space like blockchains like, OK, but to me, the thing that that really makes sense of the real use of blockchain is becoming like a digital money. Like everything else might might make sense. But like for the most part, I think most of the tokens are just ways for the people that make the token to like make money uh, by selling it before they've done anything. And most tokens are only going to be worth like the network value or the, the network resources that go into like running the network to use what the token does. But Bitcoin makes sense because I think it will be used as a store of value in digital money and therefore will be worth like the future market cap of that and not just the resources used to run Bitcoin nodes and process the network. So, you know, that's a abbreviated thing. Like, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I like it. I think that's I think that puts in pretty good perspective. It is a little bit of a rabbit hole. It's a deep, deep. Uh, it's a pretty complex thing. That's very I, complex. I, that I that I'm a believer in as well. And. You know, I think it's uh, time will tell, but yeah, we, we have our opinions and, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that's a little bit, you know, I guess if it goes to ETF, right? If it's a way where you, your parents, my parents can call up and hit their broker at Fidelity and say, Hey, I want 10,000 worth of Bitcoin. That's going to be a lot easier. There is some, I think, anxiety about holding it, the treasures, the keys, stuff gets lost. You know, it's a little bit more of like our generation even where, you know, even looking at for custodial type stuff, like I know friends, I have people I know that have lost stuff and, or had, like, it's a little intimidating. You know, it's like people that are kind of more, our generation and below, I think it can be adopted more with technology and stuff, but it's a little scary, I think, for older type of, um, you know, people who really wrap their head around and, and tell, oh, yeah, dad, it's okay, just here, keep a treasure. It's worth money. You know, this, it's just like it's hard to really process for certain people, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think people are intimidated by that and the treasure. I mean, the flip side is if, if you're able to and it's not that hard, like, like this is what I would say for a treasure, just to even talk about it. It's like, okay, say you buy a treasure. You're gonna you're gonna have to like make a 24 word key, okay? I would put that in a safety deposit box somewhere separate. Right. If you ever lose your treasure, you just go to wherever that is. You get it. You recover. You buy another treasure. You can like use that to set up that treasure to be to access the same Bitcoin, the same wallet that your other one had. You can recover your you know your coins that were accessed through the treasure you lost. So it's safe. And actually, so what that means is if you lose your treasure, you can still recover your coins. Right. They're not lost. That happened. OK. And, and and what this also means is because you can only recover those coins, like, say, through that treasure or that digital wallet. Technically, your coins can't be taken from you if you don't want them to. Unlike any other asset you own, anything you own, like if they want, like the government can can seize it from you. Uh, but they can't really seize knowledge from you. Knowledge of the the your coins. They can't. They could probably say we're going to increase your jail sentence or whatever if you don't but you have the decision whether ultimately you're like well fuck you u.s government or whoever you know even a guy with a gun to your head let's say you're 70 years old and you have 100 million in bitcoin and someone puts a gun to your head and they're like give me your bitcoin and you're just like well i mean i guess i'd rather die because i'm old anyway or, or you don't even have to be old i'd rather die and have my family like keep this then then give it to these these fuckers you could do that and unlike anything else where you could say that to these guys but like if it's in your house if it's gold bars and a safe in your house they could shoot you and then take a truck and take your safe and your gold bars 
but they could take your treasure and they wouldn't be able to get your Bitcoin. So I'm just saying like Bitcoin has some features of security in a way once you understand it, you know, and, and there's even stuff that goes beyond this that I don't want to get into that go beyond anything that we have right now, like in a, the amount of security that you actually right. have that it can't be taken from you. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's intimidating and I get that. And maybe it's true that for a lot of people, there needs to be solutions such as ETFs or whatever, where they can buy it because most people don't want to learn how to do it. But, you know, one of the things a lot of leaders in the thought space say about Bitcoin is if it's not your keys, it's not really your Bitcoin, because all the things that I'm telling you about, like the amazing security things, they come from you ultimately having the keys to your Bitcoin An ETF. Obviously, the keys are being held by whoever is like holding the Bitcoin for the ETF. Yeah. Right. So you are losing that as a security, but you're using Bitcoin and then just purely as a store of value and, and money. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I think, okay. I've got seven more questions about Bitcoin. You can send some tweets if you guys want. We do again have a, uh, a giveaway slash way to get out some questions here on uh, my Twitter. I think we've seen, we've seen a bunch now. It looks like we can go through and open some of these time. At the end of the, the show, we'll go through and, and look. I think we've got a... At least 17 remarks. I think Rast has got it up pulled too. We can we can go through and look at some of these in a bit, but uh, I wanted to go touch on it. We've got 20 people live in here. We got a venture training camp. That's all American Dave over in Fiji. What's up, brother? No snowmobile <laughs> trip talk. Snowmobile trip, man. Dave. That's all American Dave. Miss gonna, you, bro. He'll be on. Uh, got a got a shout out Malachi, man of the family over there, man. We will. We we had had some snowmobile trips. We've had Burning Man. I think we have to cover Burning Man. But just a, a quick uh, rundown of that. How many times you been to Burning Man? Two, three? No, definitely more. Either three or four. I don't remember. And what would you? What would you be your your take on that? For those out there, maybe don't even know what Burning Man is. Let's just get the images. For I a think second. Burning Man is a. Uh, it gets me hyped really, up when I look at the pictures. A really awesome experience. Um, it's it's just something totally different. It's very unique. Uh, I think I think people will be able to find many different things at Burning Man. It kind of depends on how you approach it, right? If you want to approach Burning Man as like, I love electronic music and I want to go listen to some like really sick sets and party and, and dance. Okay. Burning Man is like a, an amazing place for that. It's not the most convenient, but the music is, uh, is like sick. Like I love electronic music, but I don't like just the produced shit that you listen to at like nightclubs in Las Vegas. I kind of really don't like that pop electro, whatever you want to call it. But I love, you know, um, this kind of stuff like the deep house and, and oh, there's so many different kinds. So I don't even want to say just deep house that where like these DJs are finding these songs and mixing them and, and like the sets at Burning Man, like you'll agree. It's like, yeah. I, like for me, like and I love electronic music. That's one of my favorite things. If you want to go to Burning Man and like find a more like kind of spiritual experience, like there's things like the temple uh, where people you know, are, are dedicated to like loved ones or things they've lost in their life. Um, you know, if you want to go and retouch with kind of humanity in a way or like kindness, be, you know, that's definitely a theme of Burning Man, like going around and giving and helping. Yeah. And uh, self-reliance, like you go there, you're supposed to take care of yourself. You're in the desert. There's, so there's no money. It's gifting. It's, it's no a money whole, gifting. It's, it's pretty sick. This is actually this. A this, lot of cool art every year. Like, like this, like people just 
built this and it's there. Th- for this you was enjoy. actually, this was in 2014. This was the first year I went. This is one called Embrace. Um, I believe unless they made a similar one the next. That's where I met my wife at the burning of this the, in 2014. Yeah, I was there with you. Yeah, I learned my, Ras taught me my first Portuguese word, uh, saudades. He told me, I remember leaving when I was like, what should I text to her? Give me a Portuguese word. And, and Rasty came through with the, with some heat. So yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing experience. So anyway, but Ras and I have both been there, uh, together and with a big yeah, group one of, the of poker players a lot of things a lot of poker players in our camp about 120 i mean you name it some of the biggest crushers uh all under one roof it's it's a lot of fun and antonio is one of the big advocates and gets it organized with general lee shout out to lee mershon so that's that that's burning this Man. was this was one of the this thing oh, was sick i don't know if i saw that one yeah that what was, year was that, that? that might have been my first year or I don't remember. It says 2013. Yeah. So that was the this, year before I went. This was uh this thing was amazing. And it I mean, fucking sexy ass woman <laughs> sculpture. No, but it's just it's like almost like realism. I don't know. That thing was amazing, man. Yeah. Uh and right. it also <clears throat> it was like wire, it had lights in it, so it like lit up at night and Yeah, I didn't see that one. The there, muscle and it had different light, it had like the muscles and then it had just other colored lights. That thing was sick. Yeah, there's some there's some cool installations and yeah. experiences here. All right, let's d- dive off of Burning Man and tackle another area. I know you've been working a lot on talking about what you know, sort of self improvement, <coughs> life, and betterment. So I'd say like kind of what motivates you in poker and in life. What are some things outside of poker <coughs> that? You know, is there a water? You want a water? Uh, um, yeah, give us uh, give us a little bit like what kind of motivates yeah. you? I guess for. <coughs> You know, the things that are not poker related. I know we were talking now, your your son, uh, Krishna, who is... Yeah, uh, family is probably one of the more... Probably the, the biggest the biggest thing. I mean, um, I love my wife a lot. Uh, you know, she she came to Vegas. She, she went through a lot to make our relationship work. She came to America when she didn't speak the language. You know, a lot of things she does still doesn't even really like that much about Vegas. Um, but... Uh, you know, I, I learned about how to be a father. I mean, I got thrown into being a stepfather and, you know, it was, it was tough cause he loves his, uh, his genetic father and, um, you know, and missed him and it was weird. And I'm like this new guy with his mom kind of, and, uh, you know, I mean, he definitely resented me, but you know, my, Juliana did a really, it's really a lot of credit to her in helping navigate the relationship between me and him. And talking to him when it was right, talking to me when it was right. And, you know, one of the things that she definitely taught me was, listen, you know, you're the adult, okay? Like, he's a kid. And if certain things like this happen, you know, because something would happen maybe and he would react a certain way and I would get hurt. And I'd kind of, you know, not not want to deal with it as much. Or, you know, not saying I'd be mean, but like I would, it would affect my like open and lovingness. And so... You know, like she helped me navigate through that and always told me like, he, listen, he's going to be he's going to be your best friend when you get older. Like, he's just like you. You just don't see it like you guys are so alike. And, you know, I, I've just you know, my wife has just been right about everything with that. And, uh, you know, I, I think one of the moments that happened in the last couple of years is when I started to realize like, wow, my son realizing his dreams now, like he's trying to become and, you know, because he Jeff has gone to um, one of his games here in Miami, staying in Miami, playing with Juventus. But he uh, like ha- helping him realizing his dream would is like one of my biggest dreams now. Yeah, and it's 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 like weird thinking that because that's not something I had ever really felt before. Right. You know, it's like okay, I'm do my thing in life. I'm and I'm gonna rely on myself. 
and I'm going to push myself. But part of that was also like other people's dreams weren't my dreams. You know, I had my dreams and what I wanted and I was going to do what I needed to to accomplish them and not rely on other people for it. But now it's kind of like, oh, like, wow, I really want to help my son. And whether it's like if it's financially with something or something, but also just like with my advice, you know, I think at least as a man, like navigating the world, pushing yourself, like discipline, perseverance, like all these kind of things, you know. So, uh, I, yeah, so it's like my family's number one. Um, but also just like various types of self-improvement. I mean, I, I think in life, everyone has their strengths and their weaknesses personally, you know? And, uh, I think, uh, definitely for me, like being married, being in a relationship, being with someone, you know, you, you, you learn a lot about yourself. And I think one of the, one of the keystones or cornerstones of like any good relationship is that it like makes you better. Right. You know, you learn with your wife, your, your partner, whoever it is rather help helps you teaches you the things that you're not doing right. You know, supports you, Gives you but honest feedback also holds yeah. you accountable a bit. And uh, yeah. And so I, I um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to improve as, as a, as a person, like, you know, whether it's like lowering my anxiety, you know, learn how to, learn how to like focus, like meditate, you know, channel things like keep, you know, I don't know. So a lot of personal improvement too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're going to get ready to, we'll take some questions here in a little bit, but why don't we go and check on, oh yeah. Give us a little bit. What in your free time? What's uh, what's something that you have family too? Like we're going to have some, we're going to have some babies. We're going to, is it, Yours, yeah. is, yours official, right? Yeah, official. I got, I got. I'm, mine's due end of April, so yeah. you know we're, we got. We both are married to Brazilian women, very family oriented, uh, which is awesome. I think that's a very strong yeah. characteristic of you know not stereotypically, but that Latin family is very close, connected. Uh, even so, living after college, like the the, the kids live at home a lot. It's different, you know. But yeah. like my uh, my wife's family is enormous, and it's great. So I'm looking forward to starting having my own. And yeah, it would be cool if you have a kid around the same time. You know, I know you're go, you're talking about that. Going that route, which is which is great, and it'd be sweet to uh, you know a lot of our friends we know have kids, one, two, three year olds right now. It's uh, it's that it's, it's a fun time, but it's also busy. it's a big responsibility. It is, you know, you're shaping shaping something. I mean, one of the things too, it's like not even put it on the same level, but like you know, my wife and I got this German Shepherd. It's like this beautiful dog and never barks at anyone. It's super like loving and peaceful. And at some point, like you know, the dog's like four and a half now, and it's like my wife and I are. Are, are like proud. It's like you're proud that like, you know, we made this beautiful creature, right. you know, we trained it. It's, it's obedient. It's fun. It's loving. It gives love. It, it doesn't bark or bite people. And it's like, you know what? It's like, let's like ramp that up 20 X in difficulty <laughs> yeah. and do it with people, you know, like create these <laughs> yeah, people. And yeah. it's it's a big responsibility though, you know, and not that everything that happens with them is going to be your fault, but a lot of it, is right. <laughs> as the parents, you know, so you got to give them love. You got to, you got to teach them right and everything. And, uh, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I've, I've got some of that hopping in when he was like nine and he came to America, but you know, a lot of the formative years, more formative ones I didn't. So we're right. both about to jump in that, you know, it's a big responsibility, man, I, I'm, uh, but it's going to be great. I'm that's uh, uh, yes, it is. It is. It's coming. Let's talk. Gotta uh, embrace the responsibility. I know. Jeff. I'm Don't in. I'm in. Face, I'm in. Bra- no, no, I'm, I'm, part of it. I'm embracing it. I'm yeah, ready to go. Let's, it. 
Let's dive in here Let's to dive those in. that are wa- talking about the PSPC. I just want to quickly, I know, again, Rast plays used to playing a lot of, this is definitely going to be, and maybe you could touch on, I think the most similar that you you made a thing, it was back to like the WPT 25Ks back in the day. Those yeah. got some 3 million type prize pools, unbelievable No, events. first. Yeah. Prize pool, nothing, man. Like no, 3 million the year, first, that really good year, it was over three years of first that Joe Bartholdi won or something. What year was it? I mean, it? I, I almost final tabled one of those. That was the closest I ever got to final tabling a WPT. I got hosed on seventh and a huge It was five. here, right? Yeah. 2009? Yeah. This was- Yeah, right there. I, uh, I, I lost ace king to kings in a, in a four bet jammed ace king. And the guy who opened, not even the three better, had had the kings. So, but. wow. And so, oh, wow. So look at these familiar faces, man. Scotty Nguyen, legend. I, this guy always, Scotty Nguyen has a pretty impressive resume. Even this year in the 25K, like PLOs yeah. and stuff. He's in there. Shannon Short, all time great. Christian Harder, great. I mean, he's a lot of familiar faces. This is the only guy I don't recognize. Was, he, was that the guy? Or who was? Do you remember? No, it was Yevgeny. Was the Yevgeny. one who had yeah. Ace King. Yevgeny actually won with Ace King to Kings before He's, I busted to survive when we were like seven or eight handed. But um, but yeah, no, that was before that was before I had really broken through really in tournaments, and you know, I felt like I had had a long string of like kind of just stuff not working out like deep in tournaments like that. <laughs> you know, I had uh, I think maybe that same year or within a year of that there was like the 40k 40th anniversary 40k WSOP I lost with kings to fives to the guy who won whatever what, what what's his uh Sorel always used to joke about that guy's name I forget oh Valtelli Lunkin yeah yeah Lunkin this vibes. one right here yeah Lunkin. yeah Lunkin vibes 14th he got it in basically we had the same chips it was kings his fives he made quads versus my kings and I was like oh man just like it, it of, is funny looking back end at of tournaments like nothing ever goes right for me but, you know, then eventually things went right. So, you know, I, I definitely cannot complain anymore. Oh, my God. Keith Lear. Keith Lear made it deep in that one. Keith, yes. I, I've, uh, I play with Keith all the time now. He's yeah. actually here for this. this, this uh, yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's been around in the mix for a he's, long he's time. He's been around forever. He's been playing poker way longer than me. But, yeah. I actually I was trying to find a tournament that we played in the Keith Lear. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny, man. Looking back at these, I think it was this one. Yeah, I got deep in this. I four bet jammed ace ten off into Igor Jacks, and he folded. And Keith Lear had kings. And uh, yeah, I remember that one. That was a fun one. The six max. That was a pretty good turnout. Twenty five k six max yeah. back in the day. This is like sort of at the heyday of um, when tournaments were really jamming back then. Yeah, so, all right, we're going to talk about this, this structure here quickly. Just wanted, if someone's asking how do you prepare you know, differently for this, I, I mean, I'd say like Rass and I, are, we are looking over some range converter stuff. Shout out to Craig over there. We'll put that link in below the stream. But, I mean, really, I, I would say in particular, like this is just something we're going to, you know, Rass, if you want to answer. In terms of preparing necessarily, I think I don't it's really cool, prepare but- for anything specially anymore. I just come and play. I mean, I'm here a little bit. I, I came early with Jeff, but a lot of it's more rather than like actual poker preparation. It's more just like uh, physical, mental preparation. I got here early. I'm not going to be jet lagged. You know, we've worked out a couple of days. We're going to work out again tomorrow before the tournament. You know, about poker preparation, not that it's specifically for anything. You know, I came to Jeff a couple months ago and was like, Jeff, you know, these are some things that I know are happening right now. We got to go find something like this. And Jeff and I sat down on a computer. He found this like range converter thing. We 
got in contact with Craig. We're now using that. You know, I had already kind of been using PO Solver. I use that a little bit. But I don't sit down and like, oh, I'm going to play this tournament. Like, I'm going to study for eight hours now to prepare for it. You know, I just, I as I play, I, I get hands. I try to talk about hands. I run hands that I think are interesting in PO. You know, we might look, We're gonna, probably tonight, we're going to look a little bit at range converter. But, you know, no special preparation for me. Yeah, I'd say the same. I think it's also a bit of a... Not a mistake, but, you know, it's like you're not going to rewrite, the invent the wheel the day before. Like, yeah. you do your studying, you kind of put your time in before. It's okay to talk about something if there's a hand. Like you said, we got something we want to look at or interesting or maybe a spot that we want to, you know, yeah, go over a hand or two. But other than that, it's not going to be like a, exactly not going to be a seven, eight hour study, study session. I want to take some other questions here. I see a lot of you guys. Again, there is a retweet. Uh, giveaway here. I see 38 people going to be eligible. We got 20. We'll let 39 people, uh, 17 that have clicked on it. We'll jump through here. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to answer this question because I think it's a good one. What's the most tilting thing I see from other players at the table? There, it's like a group of things. It's, it, I guess to some, to like give it a broad thing, it's like a player's like inability to handle himself at the table and to more specifically say what I mean. So like First, like really bad treatment of dealers. Uh, that's really tilting. Second, really like bad treatment of other players. Like I hate it when I see people berate other people. Like that to me is like ridiculous. Like someone wins a hand and plays it badly and they berate them. I mean, honestly, I've even seen that in Bobby's room with a couple people. It's like, it's crazy. Like if someone plays a hand bad, first, why would you tell them? Like that's just dumb. You're not trying or you're trying to make people, especially people you're literally playing against right now, better or that you're going to play against regularly. Like, I don't get it. And the other thing, too, is even beyond that, just like personally, the lack of like respect that you're going to tell someone something and like make them feel bad in a public situation, shame them in front of other people like that, like both of those things together. So like from like a professional standpoint, but even from just a personal standpoint that you're just like publicly shaming someone for doing something bad, like and usually it's because you like need to prove something for your own ego it's also i think a lot yeah, of times I, I hate people, that. people have issues stuff at home there's underlying things i think it's like you know there's bigger things yeah but it's like dude i mean you know no, I'm you can say whatever but it's like there's no it's like publicly shaming someone it's like strong and the other it. thing that tells me it. i'm saying i think they have something going on yeah, in yeah. their own personal space that's bought, like not right but i also don't like it when when people whine and complain if they're losing and things are going really bad i'll sort of like be okay with it you know, just because it's like, okay, you know, you're having a rough day. You want to like let it out a little bit, like bitch about like, oh, this unlucky, whiny fuck winners. this. Like, okay. But I hate fucking whiny winners more than anything. If someone's like, dude, I've literally been in games where it's like the only winner like loses a pot and starts fucking complaining. And it's just like, you want to just like break the guy's neck. You also want to like, dude, in you. Like, are you, fucking, <laughs> are you for real or not? Like, no, some I, people are just psycho, dude. I, I don't want to give names, but you're just like, this person just is fucking a total psycho. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, it's a, yeah, like, it's a sick, that's sickness. Uh, that's whiny winners are the, are the worst. So those, those are the things. Whiny winners and dealer, dealer mistreaters and... Uh, the people who berate and put other people down at the table. I see Vader and Ghost of M Legends helping out. Thanks, guys. I want to say a couple questions from Colin O'Reilly, man. He's been a big supporter of the podcast and been dropping in some stuff. So we, we've been touching on this. So, yeah, would you say implementing the use of Solver in your study and what kind of impact has it had on your game? Um, we've talked about this already. We talked about so, a little. So I'd say that was it's a good question, kind of covered um, for the most part with, you know, it does have an impact to some degree. You're using it. You're aware of it. You, you know what's going on. You know people are using it. Yeah. And you're you're in tune. 
to it. I mean, I would say, and I, I want you to answer this question too, in terms of the impact it's had rather than just implementing it. You know, I feel that since I've started using um, range converter, like I, I feel like uh, not only do I think I'm playing better, although I could be just saying that because I, I think this is right, but I, I've, I feel more comfortable in some spots, like playing tournaments, especially like the small blind, big blind spots. I think that's really helped me like shape up like what I'm supposed to be doing in a lot of those spots, you know, and giving, giving me a structure that now I'm like kind of implementing something. And uh, I don't know. I mean, the stuff I've learned there, like makes sense to me. Like I get like what it's saying and like why it's a better way to play. So I don't know. It's made me feel a lot better about some preflop stuff. Like what, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think that's that's a good way of, of uh, you know, even if it's like one or two spots or, or blind sizes in situations that are frequent, yeah. like if you're making adjustments or realizing something that you were maybe doing differently or that you find a way to improve your game in a spot, it's a big deal. You know, there could be, it could be a very little thing that you're doing that's like a big deal that you get fixed. So I think it's, I think it is important yeah. to really to, to go over that and to, to feel confident too. Cause it's like, yes. you know, we, it's like when you're in a game and you're like, kind of like, Oh shit, like here I am again, I'm the small blind. I got pocket fours. I have 17 big blinds. Do I just jam or like, you know, what am I doing and why? Like even just knowing that you feel confident is big. So yeah. I'd say that's important. Definitely. And, and the other thing about it too, I think is like when you start looking at stuff, I mean, it's definitely a bit intimidating. It's just like grid and all this, like you do this with these hands and this with these hands. And it's like, okay, fucking, you know, and there's so many different spots in this. I mean, one of the biggest things to learn whenever you're doing it is try to like look and learn principles. Like, why is it that you're doing this with this? Cause one of the things like I've noticed even looking at like, say range converter is there are certain principles that, like, this is why you're doing this. Like, this is why, say, cutoff or button raises and you're jamming, like, these hands with, like, 20 bigs from the big blind, right? And then, you know, that same thing, like, some of those same hands or some of the same hands where it's folded to you, 15 or 20 big blinds in the small, like, what are you jamming versus what are you raising or limping, right? I mean, it's, uh, so it's like, some of the same hands for some of the same reasons. You know, it'll be, like, the offsuit aces in the small pairs, and like, you know, maybe some mid suited connector ish stuff, you know? So, uh, and, and if you think about that, it makes sense. Cause these are hands that have decent when called all in equity, but you're definitely very happy taking down the pot with, you know? Uh, so, um, I think like looking and finding principles and okay. So like, why is the solver saying this and what does that mean? And we'll also help you remember it, apply it to other spots Remember when to apply it to other spots when you see different in-game situations or different things. Like ultimately, you're trying to learn how to play. <clears throat> you're not just like memorizing a grid, right? You know, because like you're not going to be able to memorize like every grid, yeah, really. every spot, like 12, 15, 13 yeah. blind and spot. You know, it's you just have a general idea. You start looking at the matrix and you start realizing, oh, these hands have more value. These hands are, are good, you you know, yeah. how you want to play. So, yeah, I think it is cool looking at Razor Edge, range converter, those type of tools. Uh, we are going to go, let's see. Uh, do you know Do you know who, where Belarus is? Do you know any Belarusian poker players? Do you have any Belarus love out there, anything in particular? Do you know uh, anyone you play with? I don't with? know. I might know someone from Belarus. You know where Belarus is, I don't know is, that though. they're from Belarus, yes. Okay. And I know where Belarus is roughly. Give us a book. What book do you recommend? You got any books? You just told me one today. Oh, uh 
Yeah, like I think Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. That uh, that was the one I recommended to you. Yeah. Uh, for a certain reason, mm-hmm. but I I'm gonna keep yeah, on the DL for a moment. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, that I mean that that was a great that was a great book. All right, and uh, Santa Claus. Wait, I don't know. I guess it doesn't have to be Santa Claus. If you had could if if you knew he would grant that what wished one wish, I guess if you got a wish, what would be a Santa? It would, wish? it would be for Krishna to become a world class soccer player. That would be it. Wow. Outward focus. Didn't wish. even take the PSPC 4, 4 million plus that's, that's hanging this week. I, I mean, like that it. would be great. That's a nice one, but too. But that wouldn't be my Santa wish, Claus wish. Right. Uh, someone starting poker. What would be some advice? They're starting right now. They're seeing the podcast. They're fucking fired up. They're like, you know what? Poker's hard now, but I don't want to do a 9 to 5 BS thing that I don't enjoy. I want to play it some. What would be your one tidbit? Give them some. Give them some. Give them a kingly <laughs> advice. Give them, put them on the right path. I mean... Um, you have to approach, you have to approach poker like every decision. I'm trying to make the best decision and that has to really be like your motivating driving factor. It's not like you like gambling. It's not like this. You you can't let your emotions get in the way. It's just every decision, every hand, you're just trying to make the best decision and that's it. And I mean, one of the reasons why poker worked for me even just from the beginning is like, I'm one of those guys who, when I start, like I always love playing games, but like the thing I love about games is figuring out strategically, like how to play them the best. Right. Like I like figuring that out. Like I like that. Like if you don't really like that poker's probably not for you. Like you're just going to be a fucking gambling punter, which is great. Like please play poker, but you're not going to, not if you want to win, right. you know, like only listen, poker's great. It's amazing. It's challenging. It's fun. You don't have to play poker in order to try to be like an amazing professional. You don't, you know, I mean, that's like what I do, but you can, you can play poker recreationally, right? Like you don't have to, but, um, you know, if it's like you're starting out to play poker and you want, you want to win, like that's one of your biggest goals. You want to get better. You have to approach poker from that standpoint of like, you know, I'm trying to make the best decision to win chips in like every spot, you know, not let your emotions get in the way, not be playing for like some other reason. And if you find yourself playing for some other reason, you know, oh, I really feel like gambling tonight, you know, okay, well, if you want to play poker that way, that's fine. But if you decided that's not what you want to do, which probably most people who are listening to this podcast, I would guess, maybe take that night off. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know. That's right. what I'd say. Okay. Yeah. I would also say my advice would be with, if you're starting to play poker too, is make sure you have some supplemental income or you're not just like, you know what, quit your job, send in your notice and just to hop in the tables, like that, learn, study it, kind of ease into it. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. Like yeah. It's all or nothing. I think that's super important and probably. Uh, yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think almost everybody, you kind of learn when you're doing something else and then right. if it starts really working out. Maybe you drop the other things that you're doing and you, you stick with poker, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, yeah, I wouldn't just quit everything and hop yeah, into poker. Definitely not it's, it's tough and it doesn't work for everybody. You know, there's just a mix of things that you need and you need to learn that some people develop and other people just don't. So, yeah. You know. How many events do you think you're going to play here? We've we've gone over this a little bit. You got the 25K for sure. And I'm going to we'll keep see. it day by day. Definitely playing this 25K. I, I've talked about this with Jeff. Actually, I had told him, like, listen, Jeff, mm-hmm. if I bust, I don't want to throw this negative energy out there, but if I bust this 25K on day one or two, I could just fucking tilt, get the fuck out of out of the Bahamas. Because like, nice I want to wait around. Here, though. It, but could, but the setup is nice and it looks like my wife is coming tomorrow. 
which makes it very likely that I'll be here. She's coming for like three or four days and then she's going to leave. But by the time she leaves, the 10K is going to be going and stuff. So even if this 25K doesn't work out for me, which definitely it's going to because one of us is going to take this down. It's, I'm just throwing that out right, right now. We're going to get a good night's sleep. We got our workout in the morning. I got my Elliot Rowe call. I mean, we're set up yeah. for success. Things are happening. I'm, play, play the 10 and 25K. Honestly, I don't want to. I definitely on this trip, I'm looking to be healthy, looking to spend time with people. Um, I'm, I, I don't know whether if I'm going to play the 100K or I don't, is there a 50K? I didn't even know that. There's a one day. 50. I didn't even really bring like a ton of money out here. I've got 80K on my stars account. Like that's, I kind of came out here with the intention of just firing that into tournaments. And so, you know, once that's gone, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, yeah. How is it like being a friend of JG? Oh, uh, that's interesting. On the spot, you're on the hot seat. It's like JG. JG is a great guy, like a really conscientious friend. I mean, JG is a person who more than almost any other friend I have, like kind of like thinks and kind of almost plans for his friends. I mean, like I remember this when we went to Montreal, you and me, like years and years ago, I just remembered JG it's like, oh, I was like, oh, JG, like I didn't, I just did, I didn't bring that. JG's like, don't worry, man, I got here's shampoo for you, here's something. I'm just like, holy shit, yeah, like got, this guy is like so conscientious. We got, we got, you know? we got stuff. So JG's just like a, a great friend in that way, because um, you know, he's he's there, he's got your back. He's JG's like super fun. Uh, he's almost always just like positive and upbeat and uh, fun to be around. You know, always got something interesting to say, fun to do. And it's not like, it's just like who he is. It's not some genuine thing that he's like bullshitting or faking, which like I could never abide because I'm just not the kind of person that can abide bullshit. But, um, you know, he's just genuinely like a uh, a fun guy and a good friend. And, you know, that's why he's one of my good friends because I, you know, I, I like being with him. Right, you know, we're here. That's why dude. we're here. We're hanging That's out. That's why we're, you guys are we're here. podcasting and we're live with you guys. You guys That's know he's happening. fun. He's fun to like run the podcast. We're doing he? it. We're doing. I don't, even, I don't know how we're got his thing. He's yeah. got his mic. I, I don't, don't even know how we're gonna quit it. I don't want to stop. So we're gonna have JG to, uh, does his thing. He adjusts his mic. He adjusts yeah, his mic. We go live. We get hyped up. We might even go. Who knows what we could do today? We might. We might. We could go. We could do <laughs> we anything. Go forever. Yeah, we might just keep going. How did you meet your wife? That's that's a cool one. Shout out to Brazil, man. Prazer, all the Brazilians out there. Oh. Oi. Oi. Tudo bem. Conheci minha mulher. Na Rio de Janeiro. I see some Brazilians that are around. Yeah. I know they're in the mix usually. So how did, give us the story. How did it go down? Uh, I went down with Phil. So Phil Locke was telling me, you know, it's uh, like, Brian, listen, we got to go to we got to go to Brazil with me sometime. You got to do it. It's a great country. I've been down there a few times. You're going to love it. Um so sure enough, uh, sooner uh, things kind of like worked out in my life in a way. I was like, okay, Phil, let's do it. So we went and uh, we were just going out, drinking. Uh, I met my wife when we were out one night. What year? I met my wife January nine years ago, this January. So nine, it's been nine years. Oh, so um, yeah, and I met her. We were out. It was like, didn't speak. I mean, she spoke Portuguese. I spoke English. I had taken Spanish in high school. She also spoke some Spanish and French. And, uh, you know, we communicated some in Spanish pretty soon. Like, it was just kind of love at first sight, man. I mean, nothing like this had ever happened to me. We both said, I love you in the four days that we were together. And, uh, like, I went back, 
you know, her, uh, we immediately applied to get her a visa to come visit me in the U.S. It got rejected by our amazing government because like, they just like, no, someone can't visit you. You know, I don't, we don't care if you're a citizen, like, fuck you. <laughs> so, so, uh, so then I started going there with a long distance relationship and I was like, I started going there making trips. We would talk on Skype. I kind of learned Portuguese from visiting her or friends and family didn't know English. I'd just be thrown in the fire. And then also on Skype, everything was in Portuguese. I was like copy pasting to Google Translate and I just learned Portuguese doing that. So I never I never wanted to learn a language. I just was like, ah, I travel. English is like good enough everywhere to get by. But, you know, love uh, changes things. Right. Got changes. You, got you, you mashed in there. That's yeah. nice. That's I wish my wife. Be, I, I my Portuguese should be further along. I'll say that. But I, I do understand, you know, a couple. I can I can get by some basic understanding. Uh, Aussie Millions, you've been a few times. Is there any upcoming? You're not really traveling so much, right? That's not on the horizon to go back to Australia per se. Not, <laughs> no, not, not going year. back to Australia for Aussie Millions. Not happening. Uh, this year, my wife and I want to plan one trip to somewhere cool that we want to go to. And other than that, there'll probably be very little poker traveling. Gonna got to really gonna think about having some kids. Get finish our house remodel. It's become a mess of a project. I don't want to get into. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we talked about that. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, fair enough. And some Eric is talking about uh, e. Baxter saying something about fifteen big blind snapshot says to do differently. This can any non-human not named I, hacks then play profitably and well by limping good hands in late position, not blinds. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, like anything, it takes a little little bit of work. Uh, to learn and implement something, um, there's a lot of ways to do that. I, you know, I've started to see, I've started to see some people limp in tournaments. You know, like I'm not even playing that many. I've just noticed a few people are doing it in some spots. A lot of like 20 big blind cutoff, hijack, 25 bigs. You know, 15 bigs. People are starting, you know, to to learn. Solvers are starting to say certain things, and people are trying it out. So yeah, I mean, people not named Haxton can can do that you've just gotta you gotta work on your game you know and put in put in the time there you go that's the answer that makes yeah. sense discuss the hamburger what's that is that the thing ali was giving you a hard time about for eating or something what i don't i don't know about this hamburger this is the thing i've heard a lot of talk about it. i honestly don't even know what it is you had it you ate a sign i this? ate this double cheeseburger from burger lounge okay on stream and i guess they were talking about it ali and nick i saw and a little bit of it, but i didn't, I didn't watch it. it yeah i don't know like how it came to saw some people tweet I don't know. Listen, I think I played well that day. I was very happy with, you know, I had someone sending me hands. Basically, I made a couple folds. I was right. I had some bluffs. They worked. Like, I didn't really have many hands the whole day. You know, I ended the day with basically just over starting stack. Day two, thought I played well on stream. You know, I mean, thought I played well means like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty demanding and rigorous. You know, I mean, I'm basically saying it because... Uh, I felt pretty good with my decisions and, you know, based on the cards that people had, like my bluffs got through and I folded the second best hand. So I don't know. Did the hamburger make me play worse? I don't think so. And I I don't listen. I'm never going to regret my food choice because other people are criticizing me. I could really care less what 99.999% of people 
uh, have to say about me. Uh, I could care less, man. I'm going to do my own thing in life. And um, You don't get the nickname you know. King, Zar Rass, for nothing. That's just what it is. You can't be too worried yeah. about what's happening out there. I'd but, only regret the food choice if I thought the hamburger made me play worse. So uh, if you can come to me, Eric Beck, and, and show... Like, hey, after this hamburger, things decline. You played some bad. Ha- you played worse than earlier. Please let me know, and I will not eat a hamburger at the poker table again. There it is. You not heard- that it's a big yeah. food choice, yeah, for me. right? I don't think that's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but if you guys can produce it, he'll listen. So uh, most you've won or lost in the session. I'm not not Friday. gonna. Not, I don't like answering those questions. I hate answering the like personal financialish type questions or giving my opinion on other people in the poker world. There's nothing good that happens when you answer those questions. So. I think that's right. Let's see if we have any more. And I think well, any other any other things you want to mention? I think we're pretty much uh, you prefer while playing poker. That's sort I of mean, like, usually not hamburgers. Yeah, that's, that's to be not, honest. I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's there, not on my list. The thing is, there aren't that many options when you're in that poker studio at the Aria. It's like uh, the Mexican place, and I'd already ordered from them a number of times, the Burger Lounge or Thai. That was it. Those Or the pizza place. So, um, yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know. I generally like eating um, mostly healthy, not not stuff that's too heavy, like stuff like meat, meat, veggies, uh, not too heavy on the bread. And I usually don't like eating too much. That's one of the biggest things. Just don't eat like too much because uh, I think you want to avoid having too much food go to your stomach because that can that can slow you down a little bit mentally. I want to ask you about short deck. Do, is that something that's? But do you guys play that at all in there? Not really. And like in the Bobby's room, I don't play much short deck. I I get it. There's huge whales in Asia playing short deck for a lot of money, and you know some people want to learn. There's been I know people that have won a lot of money playing short deck, like Jungle True Teller. You know you know. Coons done well. There's been some people who have won some money playing short deck. Um, you know, I get why they want to would learn and want to play. Personally, I think short deck it's like a simpler version of no limit hold'em, hands down. It, it's it's played with a different structure with like everyone anteing thing. You could play no limit hold'em that way, but um, I don't think short deck is a great game. Um, it doesn't really work as part of a mix because you have to use a different deck. So it's like you got to change decks. So it's kind of annoying. And uh, like to, from my eyes, like if you're going to play short deck, like why not just play no limit hold'em? Um, at least in terms of game complexity or whatever. But you know, uh, so I I'm not really looking forward to short deck coming around. You know, I, the way I view it is I'm already stretched very thin in poker. I mean, like I'm basically trying to play every game that there is. I'm like yeah. a really high level, so I'm just like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna just hope short deck doesn't become like the new thing, and I'm kind of like holding off really learning, and I'm just hoping it dies. But you know, I don't know. If it doesn't die sooner or later, I'll probably start trying the, to learn get it. Get in the streets. All right. What do you and what do you think about the current state of poker overall? Poker is like where it was is is now. There's some legalized. Well, it's different, but federal sports got legalized. It seems to be a good yeah. step. That sort of uh, goes hand in hand. Pennsylvania just passed. I don't know if you saw what happened in Michigan. It was a uh, House and Senate both passed it overwhelmingly. It was like a done deal, basically. The governor vetoed like it. Like legal in the state. Yeah, like Michigan like would be like poker stars in Michigan. Poker stars just as in Pennsylvania. Are they still separate islands? Uh, they, so they're, they are, are they no, connected. They connect, they connect the New Jersey, Vegas, Nevada are connected. Pennsylvania will be connected. 
So it's it's moving, but I, I just didn't like. Do you feel like is there another boom? Do you think I kind of whatever like? Well, do what I, do you think? Why don't you say and then? Okay, so I'll go from there. I, I do think there is another boom. I think that it will take a few more states. I think like Michigan, Illinois, New York, and all of a sudden you have a viable network once you have you know interstate five, yeah. six, seven states. Um, yeah, I think the sports thing is pretty big. I think that's a big deal. Like I just think it's like it's archaic in my opinion that they have these things like you know in London and England all over the world. Really, there's so you can play poker. Like it's like what you know weeds. Yeah. Weed, these things are like people want to gamble. Guess what? You're gonna find an app. You're gonna put money on one of the U.S. sites. You're gonna play in like a, a play money game and, and settle amongst people. People do that. So like you yeah. know, regulated. It's good for tax stuff. It's a game of skill. It's not even close. There's fantasy that's for real money. So I think it's silly, and I think it will come back. I don't know if it's five years or eight years or if it's three years, but I think we're, it's making strides. I think it's got a good chance. Um, and I just think it's kind of silly. You know, it's, it's silly. Yeah. I mean, at least in terms of the, the silliness of judgment, I mean, I agree. I mean, I'm mostly a libertarian. I don't think that the government should be outlying people from doing things that aren't harmful to other people. I mean, whether it's drugs or, or gambling, or, you know, even like suicide. I'm not saying people should kill themselves, but like making that like a criminal activity and like putting someone in jail is like, to me, silly. What do you mean for, oh, you know, I'm just, I just think in general, like you should be putting in jail for doing stuff that hurts other people. Like that's like, no, you can't hurt other people, but you should be able to do whatever you want yourself is like my opinion when it comes to legally. Now I'm not saying there shouldn't be things to help people. Someone has a gambling problem or a drug problem, maybe instead of sending them to jail and making them a criminal, maybe, you know, you send them to like some something or whatever that that helps them or helps them deal with their issue rather than criminalizing them. You know, so uh, that's that would be my approach. So, yeah, I do think it's very silly, you know, in terms of like the future of poker, you know, poker is an amazing game. Clearly, both you and I uh like it. I mean, I, I enjoy playing beyond the fact that it's kind of been my livelihood now and the thing I've, you know, done for money my whole life. I mean, I, I like poker. Uh, you know, poker is starting to, you know, it's slowly starting to, in certain aspects, become more s- solved. Obviously, poker is such a big, interesting space that it can never be solved in a meaningful way. I, I do think that, I do wonder and question what the long-term future of online poker is, you know, is obviously a very big challenge that websites have to preserve the integrity of play, um, right? Like in terms of people using assistance, you know, and how realistic it is, even if the sites want to stop people from using assistance, how realistically they can prevent people from using certain kinds of assistance, you know? I mean, imagine like if solvers are saying, the way you should play in certain spots, like once computing power gets more powerful, whatever you could essentially have someone having a, like a program or a bot, like just run a solver. And you could just be like playing like a solver that's running like on a really powerful computer. Right. I mean, that ultimately becomes something like, and why, you know, then people just have bots running. Like I know bots are already an issue and it's only going to get worse as time goes on. So, I mean, that's like a big issue I think for online poker. Now, live poker, I think, still has a very long time, like, because you're sitting down on your own. I think it's quite, I mean, you know, this is on the horizon, like, you know, cyborg brain interface type things where you can get like that kind of real time information or whatever from a computer or the Internet. Uh, You know, that will be an issue, but I think that's still many years down the road. So 
You know, it looks like live poker, uh, at least in terms of the robustness of like me as a human being being able to play in a competitive yeah. environment against another human being and not being assisted. Because I think ultimately that's like what most people want out of poker. You know, like most people want that. It's like me and I'm playing against some other humans and we're all like thinking like, you know, how am I going to play? How am I going to beat these, this guy, these guys? But at the same time, that gambling or luck element. So unlike chess or some other games where, you know, they're amazing games, but it's pure skill. There's no luck. If someone's better than you, they're just going to beat you like every time. You know, that's not true in poker. And that's why it's a great game to play. And that's why the ecosystem is as healthy as it is. You know, why professionals like you and me and others can exist. You know, it's because of that like luck element and whatever. So, you know, some of these things for the interest and the health of the long term you know, future of poker need to be preserved. Right. It needs to be a human versus human forum to challenge, right? Where you're not having computer assistance, even if you're training on the side. Training on the side is different than assistance while playing, right? You know, someone's going to train on their own. They're going to train on their own. But when you're playing, you're on your own gray matter only without computer assistance, you know? So, so when I, that's preserving that's going to be important. If websites can do that, whether it's Virtue Poker, Poker Stars, Party Poker, whoever, you know, God bless them. That'll be great. I do wonder how easily going forward that will be able to happen. You know, and very determined people will obviously like whether it's another computer with another thing and it randomly clicks in different places or who knows, you know. But, uh, you know, I, I, I do hope that online poker is able to continue going forward. But, um, you know, I, it strikes me this like imagine that people played chess or backgammon online for big money. Like, like people don't really do that, but clearly if they just did it against random people, like people would be trying to just put bots, you know, like, oh, uh, you know, I'm going to play against Stockfish. Like, I'm just going to put Stockfish to play these guys in chess. And like, every time I beat them, they give me $500. Like you just set up that bot and you're going to be people in the world doing that for sure. Cause like, you know, just make a living setting up some program to like play these guys, you know, no one can beat it. So I, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, that's going to be an issue going forward for online poker. You know, uh, it's already, from my understanding, I don't play that much online. I, don't, I basically don't play online anymore. It's already a little bit of an issue, but, you know, five years from now, it's going to be a really big issue. You know, computing power only gets faster every year. You know, these programs are only getting better. And imagine when there's some kind of junction of the two and it's just like very easy Right. So like, yeah, know. I mean, I think there's that's one of those things, though, like seven card stud, five card stud. Then it was this, then it's that. Now it's PLO. You know, I guess the computer yeah. can figure out games, right? Like it'll be it might not necessarily but yeah, matter, that, but in theory, it would be a different game. But there is different variations. There's different rules. There's combinations. There's fall. like I think the one thing about poker that is. But that's why mix. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly, that's why I'm very happy about mix now. I view mix as like the Wild West right now in poker a little bit. Like, cause no longer hold them. It's slowly. It's like marching forward. Like people are solving and getting better in this. And if you play online, it's like a, between assistance and everything. But you get these mix. You throw as many games in there as possible. It just gets really hard for a human being to like really like be an expert, like a true expert in like fifteen games of poker, like all with different rules and different betting and like pot limit, no limit, limit, whatever you know. So what would you say? What's your what's game are you maybe known best for in your in those games out of those maybe even a variation not not PLO or no limit but like what's like a 
get can you rattle off those games off, off yeah i mean i think in those games well in those games i'm i'm you know a, ver- a very good no limit holdem player um but uh i think in those games you know cuz also a lot like a lot of the people playing the mix aren't like the best no limit holdem players there are some very good no limit holdem players who play a mix but many of them aren't you know and so you know i i love playing no limit holdem in the in the mix uh you know but outside of that you know, which you were already pre-accepting, but I wanted to throw in there. Uh, I something about Omaha Eight or Better. I feel like I I kind of get. It's kind of funny because Omaha Eight or Better is a game that I think in the on the highest level, it's like everyone thinks they play well. You see a lot of like uh, a lot of people talk a lot of shit during Omaha Eight or Better, kind of like some cross booking this. Like, God, you're such a fish. Like, people are just very derogatory towards other people's Omaha eight or better games. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's one of my best games. Um, I think recently, like in the last two years, you know, I think I used to be a, a pretty poor up card game player, stud, stud, eight Raz, various forms of Raz. Um, I think I've improved a lot in those games. Right. And I actually think I'm a very I think I'm a good Raz player now. I like my Raz game as well. I uh, I love Raz, playing Raz. I love playing poker with Jungle because every time Raz comes up, he always is like Raz, Raz. Raz. <laughs> but He's no, funny, I man. Jungle's yeah, so funny. I love I, I like Jungle. He's good. But yeah, no, I like I like Raz too. Man, I'm getting old. I'm I'm a Raz player now. That's you know, a, hey, that's a that's so you know you're old. That's a fun game though. All right, I want to end it with this question. Unless we get anything that jars at us here, uh, someone this is basically I've asked almost every poker player that so far been on the show, and I think it's interesting because this is I get asked a lot about poker being a zero sum game. How do you answer Hold that? On. Before I answer that, let me go back real fast. I just want to say this. I'm not saying. I just want to make this very clear. I'm not saying that I'm a stud is one of my best games. I'm just, my point that I wanted to say, just to be clear, is that I think it used to be like my worst game and I was pretty bad. And I think one of the things that's happened in the last two years is a lot of the games I was, they were my weakest games, I've gotten to be like decent. Right. Like for, you know, those, those mixed games. So actually, I think one of my strengths now is I have very few weaknesses. You know, I don't have many games where I'm just like really bad at. So... I love playing really big mixes, just throwing as many games as possible because I feel like one of my strengths is that I don't have weaknesses. Whereas I think a lot of other guys who have some games that, were, that are very, very, very good at have some other games that yeah. they're not as good at. What's so, the what's the rule? Yeah, on anyway. the, what's the rule on that for sitting out? Like, can someone? Can, you can't. Like, is it? Kind I mean, of you're like, not. It's it's like, frowned upon. There's not a hard rule, but you're definitely not supposed to like, like walk games because it's yeah. not really respecting the mix, right? Because like it's not it's kind of not fair if like someone's like always leaves on certain games and so then they're you only notice playing. some of that or a little bit maybe like yes, you know, someone will time I've their bathroom break at least for that right yeah I, there's there's some players who who are a bit notorious for uh, their walking they're walking during games they don't like and and other people you know don't do it right. but yeah so what was this qu- other All question right, about yeah you? so if someone says to you hey Brian you know it's great you're a world class poker player you've won money. But it's a zero-sum game. What are you giving back to society? That whole argument. I just think that's something that comes up a lot with like people looking on the outside. And maybe is uh, could you give me yeah. thoughts on how you would articulate? That? Sure. Um, so first, I would say you know I never say or would would make the argument that like me as a poker player, I'm doing some 
big service to society or really service at all. You know, I would also say that a lot of people uh, are doing jobs that don't necessarily provide a service to society. Um, but so, so, you know, I, I don't think that poker is like unique in that aspect. You know, there are a number of jobs. In, in fact, unlike poker, there are actually a number of jobs that I would argue are probably detrimental to society. You know, I mean, I think you can make an argument that anybody involved in the oil industry is actually doing something detrimental because like we should be transitioning to clean energy. We shouldn't be using 30 forms of energy anymore. It just is retarded. And, you know, I'm not going to get into a, you know, an energy debate right now, but that, that's how I feel. And I, I, I believe it's pretty demonstrable uh, if you if you were to think about it. But um, like, uh, you know, so so but but then what do I feel about that fact given what I kind of just set up. So it is something that, that I do think about. I, I do think that as I go forward in life and I'm getting to a place where uh, I'm, you know, getting financially set up and I feel more financially secure with things, um, you know, I'll feel more comfortable maybe uh, starting to devote. I already have a little bit more time to some other endeavors. You know, I, I through my wife, my wife is a, is a very conscious person. My wife, um, finds people like who, you know, I'm supported and helped a number of people through my wife. Uh, you know, there's, I'm even just trying to think. So, you know, just beyond like family and friends, but you know, there's even, my wife found this like young girl who, who like does some kinds of fighting and we sponsor her and we sponsor this other, um, young man in Las Vegas who, you know, through, through athletics, the, the girl through some fighting and the, and the boy through boxing, but, um, you know, also helping them out in their life. And, and you know, my wife just finds, like, people and projects. And, you know, I end up... So, through my partnership with my wife, you know, I and, and essentially, like, my work and money that I've, I've earned, I, you know, end up helping other people, which is something that I value a lot about my partnership with my wife. And that makes me feel good about, like, what I'm doing and some of the money that I'm making that it's being used, whether it's like family or friends or these other people we're supporting that yeah. it goes to some of those causes. My wife and I have started, we have this idea, we call it citizen of the world. Um, you know, I wrote a blog about this. Uh, I think it was a couple years ago. It's called it citizen of earth. Um, this was an idea that, had been forming in me for a number of years and, and my wife, and we have just, we had discussed it and have, you know, my wife is turning this into a concept and possibly even an NGO called citizen of the world. And, um, you know, if you want to read more about it, the idea and, and, and where it's coming from, I would encourage you to go read this on my blog, brianrass.com blog, citizen of earth. But, you know, essentially, the idea is that ultimately we're all human beings on planet Earth. Um, you know, countries, while na nations, while a useful way to organize earlier in history, I believe, are starting to outlive their usefulness and actually become negative influencers of what I would of humanity in a number of ways. And um, you know, I think going forward in my life, especially if I am able to continue, you know, having success, you know, this is going to be one of the ways where I meet my wife and I kind of direct some of our energy and, and money and, and certain things, um, 
you know, uh, through this idea that, that my wife is, is doing. So yeah, for me, a lot of this is going to end up coming kind of like through my family and through my relationship with my wife. Um, I, I do realize that my, my efforts in poker don't necessarily, or they don't make the world a better place. You know, they're kind of like my selfish pursuit of, um, enjoyment from playing a game and money. Uh, but I do think that, you know, as I get older, and I'm, I'm more comfortable with my life and I'm, I feel good about being able to support my family and certain things that selfishly I've taken on in my life. You know, I, I'll be able to also um, have already done in some ways, but even more kind of give back to society. And, and I'll want to do it in the ways and things that are important to me, Right. you know, because there's a bunch of ways that you can, quote unquote, help the world. But certain things that are very important to me that I don't necessarily think have enough focus and, and that'll be kind of the way I want to do it. I don't know. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think my the big thing I say when I'm people talk about that is, you know, I think it's really up to the individual. I can say for myself personally that doing now podcasts with Twitch, YouTube, you know, I'm providing some entertainment, some value for people. I have a lot of people that message me, you know, just say like, hey, I love what you do. It inspires me. Or, you know, I think it's more about like poker. Like I was just talking, Andrew Nimi made a good analogy to a golfer. He was just saying like, what is a golfer providing value like someone on the PGA tour, are yeah. they providing value like for the world necessarily? I mean, they're entertaining, they're doing something, they're, you know, they're, they're following their dream, but it's also like, what are you doing with your free time? Yeah. You have money. Are you doing good things with it? You're you have free time. Are you nice to people? Are you, are you creating, are, are you just being a positive net positive for the world? Like, yeah, poker is technically a zero sum game, but like, yeah. So, you know, trading. So there's a lot, there's a so lot, a lot of, of other things. There's a lot, yeah. a lot of jobs or things, like you said, the stuff that's even like necessarily not detriment. So yeah, I think it's a little bit, I just think you hear that a lot in poker and I don't think it's really a fair statement, but that's something that people, I get that a lot where I'll hear people talk about that. Or you kind of like poker has negative connotations yes. in general. So like kind of finding ways to diffuse that or just at least uh, shed light on, it, I think's good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't believe in that. I don't think of that at all. Uh, if anything, I, you know, I think again, it's like I've met so many interesting people through poker, friendships directly or indirectly through poker, and I'm involved in a lot of other projects besides poker. And I don't think poker defines me. Um, you know, same with you. I know you do a lot of different things. You're involved in other industries, crypto, whatever, right? Like it's like, yeah, poker is a way for you to, to to generate revenue, and and you put time and effort at it. And it's a fun, skilled game, but it's not. Uh, you know, it's there's it doesn't define everything you do or no, that I do that, that I want to do in my life. So yeah, I, that, yeah, I just think it's a cool uh, question. Um, if there's anything else guys, I did a pre, Oh, let's do the retweet and then we're going to, I think shut it down. Rast, do you have anything else that you want to touch on? We'll do this uh, retweet giveaway for someone is going to win a 20 spot. We'll let you click that button here. We're going to go over <laughs> here. We'll let you click the button. It's fun clicking buttons, you know? Oh, here's Badron just to ask a question. You gotta answer the goat. This. You gotta, you, Major, you got. Brian. What area do you think Jeff should improve in his poker game? Oh, nice. That's his. This is actually yeah. hot seat feedback. Let's do so, it. So okay. So I mean, you know, I, I've talked poker with Jeff for years, really. Right. You know, I mean, we we've we've uh, had some some stuff. So you know, I mean, I definitely think there were. I mean, I'm going to answer this question. There's certain things also just given the intimate nature of my relationship with Jeff that I don't want to answer too precisely, but uh, with certain things, especially like as pertains to right now, just, just, you know, out of interest for Jeff too. Um, and kind of like privacy of his game as a professional. 
But, you know, and I, and I don't think I'm giving anything away with this. No, I think in the past, Jeff definitely played a little too scared and tight. And, um, you know, I think it's something Jeff was even aware of. He was even, like, aware of it while he was doing it and kept doing it. And um, so, you know, I definitely was trying to talk to him about how to, like, open up his game more uh, and, and take advantage of more opportunities. And I think it's something um, even, you know, Jeff has spent some time on. And even, like, some of it isn't just a skills thing. Some of it is even, like, a mental thing, which is part of, you know, like he's talking with Elliot Rowe now. So I think part of, like, playing really good poker is also just, like, mentally getting yourself into place to, like, eliminate blockades that are kind of stopping you from playing your best game. Because there's a lot of reasons why emotionally or mentally you like might make certain decisions in the moment, you know, that you're not realizing that you're basically biased in doing certain things that might not be the best decision, but it's like, you know, what your brain is making you do. So that was definitely one thing. Um, I, Jeff is very cognizant and, and, and working on that. You know, I think, um, I, I think that like personally with Jeff, uh, there there's can have been a thing at times in the past with like focus, which I think is true for many people was one of my biggest issues. Also personally, I think, uh, you know, there used to be times Jeff would play and he was very like, you know, on his phone, this, that, like not distracted and not in there in the flow playing his best game, you know, even like recently. And like, I talked with Jeff about this too. And I think Jeff has changed it. Like he's instituted a new four table max policy. But I remember when we went to, PCA or no, we went to Cabo, Mexico, maybe. Well, the Mech Cabo together and we were playing online tournaments. I'd be like, he'd have like, there'd be times he'd have like 12 tournaments. I'd be like, Jeff, you know, like, what are you doing? You know, and like, there'd be like the $500, some of these that are big and he's just like $22 ones. I'm like, man, you can't like this. I can't, you can't be doing that. And I know some of it, he was doing it for the stream, but stream makes it even worse because now he's like, has to, pay attention to 12 and like mentally talk in this and entertain. So, you know, I think, you know, Jeff has worked on a lot of that stuff. And I think even like, so a lot of that stuff Jeff knows about, you know, going forward, you know, working on his game. I mean, I think uh, if Jeff wants to kind of put in the time, like at some point starting to learn some other games would kind of like maybe be the next, next thing. I mean, I know right now my guess would be Jeff, still kind of wants to accomplish more just within the sphere of no limit hold'em. But, you know, I I think, uh, you know, at some point it might make sense to start spending energy on other games. I don't know whether that's right now or in the near or distant future or whatever. But, um, you know, that that would be the kind of like one of the next challenges. But yeah, yeah. It could be fun. Who knows? Maybe Rass and I do a mixed game course or, or 101. That could be kind of fun to go over some of the games. That could be a... Like a, not like an advanced thing, but sort of like yeah. a like I know for me, it would be with like seven card stud or Raz or these games that like I know there's ways you can learn the rules, but it'd be kind of cool to see like a you know a base or even just going over a few hands and talking through like doing like replays of hands or something at some point that would be cool. But but to the question on Nolan and Holdman current state, I will say just adjustments being on time. You know, looking back on my last two World Series, I've had my first two not like winning you know strong world series and looking at it like i was coming fairly late a lot of times like three four hours two three hours for some of these which i just think it's it's just like you said you do it sometimes you're playing cash games it's your other thing it's not your necessarily the most plus ev but in my sense if i'm there to play tournaments for the summer yeah it's like why yeah a 2k a 3k wsop event a lot of values being there in the first hour 
or so yeah. and come in at and if that's your focus for the day then yeah. you know yeah, so, I mean, you're not doing something before all right i mean, I mean I, like i think part of that comes into being distracted with other projects other things also with uh youtube and stuff trying to find like maybe do too much or learn it as i go or even like you know last summer doing the five weeks of fitness with dave like you throw on youtube you throw on that you throw in all these things it's like all right like you know juggling too much and really focusing on the priority which is optimizing playing my best being there on time being focused present so you know i think there's yeah. being honest about some of that why is it happening you know why is it why are they not getting the same results when in theory i've put more time and i've studied i've worked harder but what's 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 a you know there is variance too I mean, i've definitely run there's some spots in the summer i look back I'm like what the you know that sucked king's the aces king on the river you know these shit like one tournament it's a different story but looking and being realistic on why the results haven't been quite where they should be i think that's a decent part those things are because those are things i can control yeah completely i can be on time you know even if it's like oh, i'm on my phone or i'm doing something you know, it's much better to be at the table at the start and if i need to be yeah. on my phone a little that's another thing. or or if i mean you know or you make if you let's say you're not going to be on time you know it, it's like a planned out thing like let's say you know something happened the night before you played all the way to the end and you busted like three hands before the end of the day and, you know, then you, you got something to eat, this, you go to bed, you know, it, it starts, the next tournament you want to play starts at one or no, let's say noon 11 even or 11. Right. Yeah. You're like, okay, well, you know, I want to sleep eight hours. I want to get up. I want to get in a workout and then go. So, you know, I'm going to show up at like 1230 instead of 11. But, um, so I can, so I can do these things, but, you know, I think even if I miss the first level, like getting in the workout, getting the eight hours of sleep, like I'll play better for the rest of the day. Cause that's still a long day of play, but like, that's like a planned, like I'm right. going specifically an hour and a half late in order to get more sleep and get in a workout and, and like be ready to play that day. You know what I mean? Just not like having it be haphazard and making and doing things with like the focus that like, you know, my number one objective is to, you know, play good when I play well, when I'm at the table and, and have good results and then, line up everything around that rather than, rather than, you know, the other way for sure. Like line up other, like line up poker around like other stuff that you're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's good. Advice. It's like, keep the focus on like, what am I going to do to make like doing well, like have my results be good or, or play my best. Have that be like the, the goal. Yeah, absolutely. So tomorrow again, the 25 K Rast and I will both be in. There should be, you know, we did a guess on how many players we think there will be in, um, Ras, did you did you punch your finals at eight fifty? I said eight ninety. Eight ninety. I do have a one percent giveaway. Someone's gonna win based on who guesses the closest. And I've seen some wild guesses. I would I'd root for some of the latter. Some of these guesses. Eight ninety feels high. Maybe I'm being a little optimistic. But no, let's go eight ninety. Eight ninety. We do could it. set over under and bet. You want to? We could double or nothing on the hundred at a line. We could we could pick a line right. and like choose it. Something fair. We could do it. Oh, we could do auction. Let's yeah. auction it. Let's do that right here on stream. Okay. So we'll do the auction, 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 and then someone buys, and then it's for a hundred bucks. Okay. Okay. I've already, I've already given some information. Yeah, but you, that's okay. It's okay. It's in good spirit. It's okay. It's in. Yeah, it's a hundred bucks. Okay. All right. So we're we're not betting ten k. So no. okay. So I'll just say uh, I'll start at six hundred. I'll go. I'll go six fifty. All right. How about you? Got to go up by uh-huh. five. All right. All right. All right, six sixty. I'll go. I'll go seven hundred. All right, seven twenty. 
Uh, yeah, I'll go. Se- I'll go seven seventy-five. Let's push it up a little. I know where you're kind of. Uh, you know where I'm at. Yeah, I know where you were kind of. I don't know where you're at. Yeah, you don't. Where's you don't. Jeff at? I know that's true. Where's Jeff at? Jeff, Jeff. Do we? Do you know how many people played last year? Or there wasn't even a twenty-five k last year. Or was they had? They have this event. They yeah. get like one fifty-ish. It like is like a good number. A one fifty without any. But without all the like. Now they've added like three hundred. Like you got coonsies in there. People are coming out of the okay. woodwork. The wedding shin so, might even so pop in. So seven seventy-five. That's four hundred seventy-five people that aren't getting put in. Huh. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say eight hundred. I'll go 820. It's getting kind of dicey because it is. You might be changing dicey. your mind on the 890. It is a little dicey up there. Okay. You're getting Eight, the, 825. 825. So, eight, I mean, your number is 890, but you might change in this scenario. I don't want to, like, push it to the max. I gotta, I'll go 840. I mean, I'm, I really have a number in mind. I'm trying to stick to my guns. But I might. I mean, I will. I'm not afraid to snap All right. It off. Eight, 850. Let's just put it right there, eight eighty five, and make see what you do. Okay, I'll I'll take the under. I'll take under eighty. I like it. I like it. I'm fine with that. I think so, it could get a thousand. All right. So, oh yeah, I think it's possible. Yeah. No, that'll be that'll, that'll be, be great be news. You'd be happy to chalk up a hundred for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I'll be, be happy. I if mean, it whatever. In if I lose this bet, I'll I'll be happy about the tournament. If it, if if I win this bet, I'll be less happy about the tournament you right. know i mean i i flew all the way out here i want some i want a, this to be some you kind of amazing some kind thing of i want to see some like crazy prize pools you want to see some yeah you, so you think a thousand huh it could could be it could, could be, be a thousand could be a bunch of different things do you do you like your side of this bet because i honestly kind of have no idea i really don't either i i, uh, I it seems like a lot like the the three hundred, it does. Like like say there's two hundred for sure that are like the one fifty that because there's rebuys. This is not a rebuy. Wait, oh no, this isn't a rebuy, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. we're talking like I was gonna say because out of that one fifty, definitely losing. some of those pros, some of those pros are rebuying. You know, it's a one fifty with like reentry. Like I don't know, man. It might like it seems that's a lot of people. It would be actually it insane. That's a, it sounds like a lot. They must know what they. they I actually kind of like your side. If I had to yeah. bet a lot, I would bet your side, I guess, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I don't know. Five, 300, that's still eight, eight, what did we say, 885? I mean, that's yeah. 585 people that are posting 25K. I mean, that's just, that's a lot of money for, for people. And the economy is kind of tanking cryptos down from its peak. Crypto is down from its peak. Listen, guys, listen, crypto. All I got to say is I'm a crypto it's not going it's not going to 20k in 2019. You can just post that it's not happening. Honestly, I don't think it's going to 10k in 2019. I think it might even have a problem breaking that 6k in 2019. Right? 6k like that was some serious support for like quite a while, you know? Uh it it might take a while to get up over 6k. It might happen towards the end of the year, or might not, I don't know. Uh so I'm not saying this is anything, but I think 3k bitcoin that's i don't know i mean it's cheap i think i think 3k bitcoin might be might be good we'll see bob barker just the price just you know listen you got some money in a squirrel away hole you're like i don't know what i'm gonna do with this this 3k i'm not i'm not giving any financial advice i don't know anything legally i don't know i I don't even own bitcoin you're saying it could possibly Possibly, I'm just possibly saying, out. just that's something to consider. Just saying, 3K Bitcoin, you know, 
You got to think about that. You should take a gander. Again, Brian Rast, guys, this is uh, his storied career. We had him up on Give Him a Fall, Twitter, Instagram, all the good stuff. He posts his mind. He gets involved in debates. Thank you for the, oh, we got to do the give. This is it. This is how we end it. So we did copy this tweet. This is a $20 retweet giveaway. So it Guys, questions. Daniel Araujo. No, I got to answer this. What right. about Ethereum? Listen, this is the point, okay? It's not about what's going to have the most tech or what's going to do the most transactions or this, okay? What matters to Bitcoin becoming a store of value, a medium of exchange, and a, and, and a money, a money is first it's security, okay? Bitcoin is more secure and more decentralized than Ethereum. And like all these other things that Ethereum does, that's great for Ethereum accomplishing that, but that doesn't really matter for Ethereum becoming a global money. It doesn't. Global, it having a smart contract and this and being able to process all these dApps doesn't matter for that. Like that's ultimately what you're betting on or what I think the thesis is for Bitcoin becoming worth a lot. So uh, Bitcoin, man, that's that's my belief. That's my view on the space. There's a lot of people who have different views than me. I would encourage you to learn more before you put money in anything, you know, but the, these are my views. And uh, if you like the way that I'm thinking about it and you want something more in depth, that Murad Mamudov podcast uh, with Anthony Paplano off the chain. I think it's a really great, like, less than two hour podcast to learn more about some of the stuff that I was talking about. You know, he thinks a lot of the same way I do. I uh, think he's a brilliant dude. All right. So, no, keep going with your stuff now. Sorry. Okay. Cut, well, cut, cut Jeff guys, off. Guys, RAS is officially the that. longest podcast, which is nice. So, we got a two hour and five minute elapsed time, which is just over, I think, right around two hours was our. Our biggest. So again, Ryan and I could talk all day, but we are going to uh, get a little studying in. We're going to relax. We're going to get on a routine tomorrow. We're going to hit. Um, you know, I, I got to call it the Elliot Roll in the morning. We're going to hit the gym. We're going to hit the get a little uh, maybe sauna, cold shower. You know, the whole thing. We're going to do the routine. We're going to be there on time. We're going to fire this big boy tomorrow. It's going to be a really exciting tournament. I invite you to follow along on the socials. Brian will probably have some updates. You guys know on Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, all the fun stuff. We fire and put it up there. So uh, yeah, see you tomorrow and Brian go ahead and click that button when you're ready where it says pick random tweet someone's going to win 20 bucks right at here. the click of your finger for participating in the retweet giveaway and it is oh Facundo he asked a question actually do you remember what it was it was a book he his question was which book do you wow remember? you remember yeah. what question he asked I didn't remember that but okay there, my man right there follows us in uh, 20 spot how would you like it you have a few options we are out of the country right now, stars is easy. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, coming your way, 20 spot. And I don't think we'll, no Twitch stream today. Not going to do it. It's five o'clock. We got some studying. We're probably going to go to Atlantis, check out the player party and register for the tournament. Most likely we'll see how we're feeling. But guys, that's it. We're going to sign off for myself, Brian Rast. Thank you guys so, so much. And uh, Brian, thanks for being here. Thank you, buddy. It was a pleasure. This was a lot of fun. Podcast in the books, Brian Rasmussen. Not the last, likely going to be again, especially when we ship the Sherbert to Herbert. We'll be her and Bert, and we're going to take the all the cheese, and we'll be back maybe with the with the follow-up podcast. Keep your there. eyes out for yeah. one of us this week. One, one of us is going deep all the way. Final table tag team. Let's Strong. do it. Let's go. We're out. We'll see you soon, guys. See we'll see you from the Bahamas. We'll see you very soon. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.